Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. and protests are growing at the border. Now members of the Kennedy family are teaming up with activists and celebrities to take a stand for the children separated from their parents. ABC's Marcus Moore is in McAllen, Texas, where the protests have been intense. Marcus, good morning. Good morning, Adrian. And overnight, DHS released a statement saying that more than 500 children who've been separated from their families have since been reunited as those protests against those separations continue. Chaos outside this immigration processing center in McAllen, Texas. Protesters blocking a bus carrying immigrant children. Their obscured faces frozen in time. These moving images captured Saturday. Back in McAllen, outrage over stories like this one fueling a groundswell of activism. With a coalition led by legendary human rights activist Dolores Huerta and Carrie Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy's daughter, declaring a 24-day hunger strike in solidarity with separated immigrant families. People are sacrificing, they're feeling a little bit of pain, maybe hunger pain, but not the kind of pains that these families are suffering or that these children are feeling. As soon as it was revealed uh, through an interview with the child's father, the, the pa- pa- family had not been separated. There was a really strong right-wing backlash to your cover, including from the Trump administration. Did you make a mistake by having this crying girl on the cover? Look, I, I think John Moore's photo uh, was and will remain an iconic one. Uh, we chose the photo because this little girl became the face of this story on front pages and home pages and TV screens but and Facebook But maybe she feeds. shouldn't have been the face of this story if she wasn't separated from her mom. Well, you know, as John just said and has said all along, None of us in the media who used the photo knew what had happened to the girl after this precise moment. And I I actually think part of the power of the image is that unknown. This was a girl who's coming to America, has just completed one terrifying journey, and whatever its contours, whatever happens to her, faces another very frightening journey as well. But by Monday of this week, we knew that she hadn't been separated from her mom. In fact, on Tuesday, you all issued a correction uh, to a web story about that. We, that's, I, don't, that's, I don't believe the case. We, we did make an error, which obviously I regret and, and hate, it as make, hate making errors anytime. Sure. But we made an error on a web story early in the week, not part of the cover package, um, in which we... Uh, said that the mother had been separated, and we quickly and transparently corrected that. We didn't know, nobody using this photo knew on Monday or Tuesday that they had not been separated. Well, we we, knew according to the government they had not been separated, but by Monday, CNN reported according to the government they had not been separated. Now, I understand we should be skeptical of what the government's saying when it comes to the story. And to this day, we still don't know the status of a lot of these kids that have been separated. It's sickening. But but I I just wonder about the use of this photo and whether you all discussed whether it was the appropriate one to, to symbolize the family separation policy. We, we discussed it we, as we discuss every co- cover and we felt that, I felt that, this photo symbolized the, this moment in America. She became the face of, of this debate, of this crisis and juxtaposing her with the person who, in whose, uh, whose, whose, whose decisions, in, in whose hands her fate was held. Uh, I thought was a, a, a powerful, important statement of, of the decisions we have to make as a country.
I'm going to put up a list here of Democratic colleagues of yours who've called for the resignation of Chris Nielsen, the Secretary of Home Security, in light of what we've seen happen over the few days. Are you going to add your name to those ranks? Do you think she should step aside? Oh, absolutely. She should step aside. You know, I have no sympathy for these people uh, that are in this administration uh, who, you know, it's wrong uh, what they're doing on so many fronts. But they tend to not want to confront this president or even leave. But they know what they're doing is wrong. And I want to tell you, for these members of his cabinet who remain and try to defend him, they're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them until they decide that they're going to tell the president, no, I can't hang with you. This is wrong. This is unconscionable. We can't keep doing this to children. And then did we saw the White House press? And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 26th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And yeah, you just heard them defend using fake photos and Maxine Waters calling for mob rules. Got another one uh, later on in the show that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they don't care. It is what I've been saying. This is why I own guns. It's not what they want you to think. It's always what you hear in the media is white people fear black people. And we got guns because we're afraid of the black man. No, I'm afraid of blue people. I've always been afraid of blue people. And since this election, I'm seriously scared of blue people. My wife even said last night, I'm getting another gun. After just telling her what I'm putting in this podcast, I'm getting another gun. <clears throat> one t-shirt, one bumper sticker they don't like, this is what they're doing. These are the kids that were in school, nobody fucking liked them, now they're out here and they have the power of the mob. And they think the world's Twitter, which is another great article we're going to read today, because the world is becoming Twitter. They can bully people on Twitter. Now they're bullying them in real life, and we have multiple incidents of what they're doing. And even scarier, vegans are in the mix. Yeah, you hear that story, that's great. But I want to make sure we understand, a couple podcasts ago, they they wrongly attacked an ICE guy who won the Navy Cross. And the fact checker from the New Yorker, Talia Lavin, she is supposed to be the fact checker. She's supposed to be totally unbiased. This is what she said about our main subject today, which you probably know what it is, the redhead incident, which for some people will be surprised what I think about that. But the point is, she said they can eat in peace in their own damn house. No, the fascists concerted stripping away our rights might have throw brown bag lunch. We should be more submissive. Direct anti-fascist action is so gauche, tisk-tisking, and any genuine anger on the left while revering and exalting the power and rage of the racist right is truly remarkable. A woman said, you people really have lost your damn minds. And by the way, you're the fascist. And understand, nothing's changed since the last podcast. They know this stuff. It's out. Charlie Kirk and about a bunch of other non-conservative 
people are on Twitter saying this. Did you know Obama separated 17,410 children from their illegal immigrants and parents of 2013? That's that 80 I keep saying, and people are, I got an email from some rando to listen to the podcast. You're lying, you're making up numbers. No, it's not. That's, that's what he did in 2013. He opened the door, a billion people came in. Remember before the 2012 election, I'm going to do DACA, everybody's free. We had crisis at the border, but the media didn't go show videos, they just talked about it. And people trying to get in, isn't that great? We're a country, immigrants. I'm going to read the stupid fucking tablet at the base of the uh, Statue of Liberty. Yeah, 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 yeah. 72,410 kids separated with foil blankets. Nobody cared. But by the end of our fire for effect, we got celebrities down there. We got violence everywhere. We have harassment of people. And we have a sitting congresswoman calling for fucking sedition and mob fucking rules. So let's fire for effect. And let me clear out my pipe screaming my brain out because fuck these people. be uncomfortable with Sanders and the Trump administration's views. Here's the tweet from Sarah Sanders. Her actions say far more about her than about me. I always do my best to treat people, including those I disagree with respectfully, and will continue to do so. Let's bring in Washington-based radio host Chris Plant to weigh in. Nice to see you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, Not mentioned in the article, but front page of the New York Times, which I know you read religiously. It is my Bible. It is your Bible. Well, the headline there says, in a backlash to the backlash, Republican voters embrace Trump. Is this another example of something that the left sort of took a stand in the resistance and it will probably end up only solidifying the president's base? It's very possible. Uh, certainly, and listen, I interact with a lot of people every day and, and there is a reaction. It's kind of the American thing. If you feel like someone is being unfairly pummeled every day, somebody is being unfairly treated, uh, people tend to rally around that person. And President Trump is obviously, and he, he makes a lot of unforced errors, but he's obviously being treated unfairly every single day across the media universe, not just in the news media, but more broadly on late night television and Saturday Night Live and everywhere else. So I'm not surprised at all. Is this a new thing where now someone's politics defines their character in America? Well, the Democrats, I think, have been very successful in framing Republicans as the deplorables. I mean, was, this was what Hillary Clinton ran on. This is what the Democrats, and for that matter, the Does media... Does it predate that, though? Does it predate Republicans defining President Obama in certain ways? 
Well, you, look, you can go back to uh, the way that uh, the Democrats treated George W. Bush as well. There was a lot of hatred there and a lot of rage there. But honestly, I, it's, I was driving with my, my girlfriend today, and she said, you know, it used to be that that uh, every four years we'd elect a president, half the country would be unhappy, and then we'd move on. Uh, half the country was so unhappy the last time around that they haven't been able to move on. I mean, this has lasted longer than the, the aftermath of September 11th right. when it comes to traumatizing half of the country, and they've gone quite mad. Well, Mike, Mike Allen in Axios this morning says it's going to get worse before yeah. before it gets better. But but there 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 seems to be this uh, tribalism, if you will, on both yeah. sides. Would you agree with that? Sure. And we look back to 2012. Then Vice President Biden wanted to drop by a bakery called mm-hmm. Crumb and Get It mm-hmm. in Radford, Virginia. You might remember this story as a local one. The baker said not interested in having the vice president there. Here's some video of the baker back in 2012, mm-hmm. and the right made this guy into a folk hero mm. and it and the media didn't the media didn't but the, the, the right wing media didn't the so owner of the red there, head is there a difference well that was a an isolated instance uh, one example of one person who felt very passionately and didn't want to serve uh, Vice President Biden. What we have here is an epidemic. We have the uh, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security being harassed very loudly by a mob out of a restaurant, a potentially dangerous situation. We have, look, the, the we abiding, video, we got a video of that. The abiding principle here is, these days, is hate. It's hatred. I, I mean, it honestly is. I'm sorry to say that, but we're in the midst of what is effectively an uncivil war. And, and, and you know, Mike Allen, uh, I'm glad he caught up with uh, some of the rest of us. This is getting worse. This is definitely getting Getting worse. We're headed to a very bad place. And if I could say one thing, you know, people who know their history uh, would not applaud what we saw with Sarah Huckabee Sanders at this restaurant or with the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Kristen Nielsen. You wouldn't applaud this stuff if you know your history. But if you do know your history and you still applaud, then you're a very dangerous what person. Are you, what are you you're referring to? The, the harassment? The, well, I mean, look, uh, honestly, this is uh, the Democrats. <laughs> the Democrats and their history of uh, racism, I think, is pretty well documented. This is sort of the updated variation of not serving black people at the Woolworths lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina in 1960. Is, is, that, is that a story? You take a group of people, well, listen, you take a group of people, a category of people, you demonize them, you attach to them, not individually, but as a group, very sinister characteristics, and then you discriminate against them based on these characteristics that you have ascribed to them. That that is an awfully big leap here. Mm -hmm. Okay, it is an awfully big leap. I'm not sure it is. Well, for no other reason than... than The Irish, the Jews, Muslims, you won't serve these people. Secretary Nielsen and Sarah Sanders were both discriminated against, if you will, based on... On their political views right. and who they work for, those are both choices. Whether you are black, whether or not you are Irish, whether or not you are Jewish, uh-huh. is not a choice. There's a big difference there. It's still a category of people that are being discriminated against because they've been assigned a uh, set of characteristics, fairly or unfairly, oh. that are very negative, very sinister. You're all racist. You're all bigoted. You're, you're deplorable. And therefore, we, because of our moral superiority, are going to refuse service to you. Uh, and and kick you out of our establishment. Now, I guess baking a cake for Sarah Huckabee Sanders is right out. Now, if we went to these people, they're, they're, they, they have a public conveyance here. Mm. They're open to the public. Uh, if I went to them and asked me to make a meal, a birthday cake for my kid that said uh, Trump is the greatest president ever, uh, can they refuse to bake that cake? I mean, they're refusing well, 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 hold, service. But hold, hold on. Republicans, though, 
okay, cheered and went wild over the bakery case in California where a right. baker for his sure. moral, because of his moral feelings no, was because, allowed to no, refuse no, because to because a, a cake. No, because of his religious beliefs, which are constitutionally protected. It's kind of the whole so, idea of this and, country. Wait, hold on. And political beliefs aren't constitutionally protected? Not in the same way as religious beliefs. Isn't that freedom of speech? Well, it, well you're talking about the owner or about Sarah Huckabee Sanders being uh, served in a restaurant? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying if the owner of the bakery can refuse to bake a cake for a gay couple, why can't the owner of a restaurant refuse to serve Sarah Sanders? Because she didn't refuse based on religious grounds. She, That's the difference. So, so free, and it's a very important so, difference, so, so, by so the way. So pol politics should not be protected. Politically well, it's, it's not be, up to me. It's well, the Constitution. On, but I'm asking you a question. So political yeah. belief or political speech mm -hmm. shouldn't be protected in the same way religious speech is. That's well, not freedom of speech. I think that might have to go to the Supreme Court. That's above my pay grade. Well, but but it is. But it, but we're looking at it. And these are, again, these are not isolated incidents. And, They're and, both in the First Amendment. And, and let, let me also say, let me, well, free speech is certainly, but but this is, and political speech is. But that's a, that's a separate challenge for the court. It may end up in the courts. Well, but let me say, I think that the, the Democrat leadership on Capitol Hill should be called uh, to task on this, too, taken mm -hmm. to task on this. Because. Because this is their party, and, and, and this is what they're spreading, and this is becoming more no, pervasive, and it's very, very dangerous. We're headed into a very dangerous yeah. area as well, a country. There, there, there is a lot of agreement on both sides about that last issue. Yeah. Chris, we appreciate it. Good to see you. Kristen? Still ahead. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, there's not a lot of sound bites. It was started by a tweet last night, I was told by the owner of the Red Hen in Lexington, VA, to leave because I work for POTUS, and I politely left. Her actions say far more about her than me. I always treat, do my best to treat people, including those I disagree with, respectfully, and I'll continue to do so. Liberal tolerance at its finest. Then we find out the owner of the Redhead follows Sarah Sanders' in-laws across the street to a different restaurant and organized a protest while they were dying. Sarah and her husband were not present. So it wasn't just where they're at. They kept doubling down. Ari Fleischer. I guess we're heading to an America with Democrat-only restaurants, which will lead to Republican-owned restaurants. Do the fools who threw Sarah, Sarah out and the people who cheer them on really want us to be that kind of country? Some denial of service based on moral convictions, conscience is good and righteous, you see. Kathy Griffith, a small business owner, makes a decision that she doesn't want a liar who contributes to the hate in the country to dine at her establishment, and Sarah from her official White House account attacks her. Punching down is what the White House does. Please support the red hand. She didn't violate anything. It was a tweet. After the fact. She didn't call for anything. That's how they initially tried to flip it. Matt Fuller. Sarah Huckabee Sander went home after this incident. She went to sleep. She woke up a good 12 hours after the incident. Knowing this restaurant in person would become an enemy to those most rabid Trump supporters. She used her official account for this tweet. Cool. Sarah Sanders used an official Twitter account for the President of the United States. They tried to attack her. Another one. So we have Democrat-only restaurants? How is that any different than back in the day when we had racially discriminated restaurants? Democrats are truly the party of hate and intolerance, not love and acceptance. Don't be fooled. This is who they are. Stonewall Jackson and Sarah Sanders was thrown out of a restaurant in Virginia because she works for Trump. Yet another example of the fascist left. For all you older d Democrats out there, wake up. This isn't your party anymore. Another one that I think is very prescient. 
to what we've been talking about. Ken Burns' grandson is going to do a PBS series about the coming second Democrat Civil War, and episode one is going to be titled Prelude, and cover this current time period when liberals could have made a hundred different choices and avoided what they seem intent on provoking. Chris, the left totally freaked out when two guys who wouldn't pay for coffee and wouldn't leave a Starbucks were arrested. Sarah gets booted for a restaurant because of obvious discrimination for her political affiliation. And he said, Red Wave's coming. People hacked their site. Red Hand Restaurant. Erectile dysfunction description was in their menu. David Axelrod was a voice of reason. Kind of amazing, appalled by the number of folks on the left who applaud the expulsion of press sec and her family from a restaurant. This, in the end, is a triumph for Trump vision of America. Now we're divided by red plates and blue plates. Sad. He was right. Yeah. The Washington Post covered it like this. 13 on a road story by Avi Selleck and Sarah Murray on the incident portrayed in reporter sympathies with the establishment owner, Stephanie Wilkinson. Sanders and seven others attempted to dine, blah, 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 blah. They stepped outside into a small, okay, let me read this right. This is what he got for his interview. I said, I'm the owner. I'd like you to come out to the patio with me. And they stepped outside in another small enclosure, but at least out of the crowded restaurant. I was babbling a bit, but I got to my point across in a plank direct faction. I explained the restaurant has certain standards that I feel has to be upheld, such as honesty and compassion and cooperation. I said, I'd like to ask you to leave. Wilkinson didn't know how Sanders would react or when, whether Trump's chief spokeswoman had been called out in the restaurant before as the president's homeland security secretaries had been days earlier. Sanders' response was immediate. Wilkins said, that's fine, I'll go. Sanders went back to the table, picked up her things, and walked out. The others at the table had been welcome to stay, Wilkins said, but they didn't. So the servers cleared away the plates and glasses. Yeah. One wonders how the owner managed to resist vetting the other Sanders party members, but the Post duo actually let the owner claim she had a pattern of keeping politics off the menu. She knew New Lexington's population of 7,000 had voted overwhelmingly against Trump in the county that voted overwhelmingly for him. She knows the community was deeply divided over such issues of Confederate flags. She knew, she said, that her restaurant and a half dozen servers and cooks had managed to stay in business for 10 years by keeping politics off the menu. She felt Sanders worked in a servants of an inhumane and unethical administration. Satter's Sanders Saturday morning tweet on the incident was remarkably civil. In a civil world, it would have been as delivered a strong public rebuke as Stephanie Wilkerson. But we're not in a civil world. Blue Check responded on Twitter, including several media members, are condemning Sanders for naming the restaurants. Others, including former Hillary Clinton campaign spokesman Jess Ferguson, are comparing the incident to Colorado Baker's refusal, affirmed as within the scope of the First Amendment free expression rights for the recent Supreme Court decision to bake and design a custom cake for sex, same-sex wedding. But Sanders didn't insist on being served. Even though the Post reports that the kitchen staff are already busy preparing her party's odor, she also hadn't run and won't be running to a civil rights commission demanding the redhead server. Andrew Kaczynski from CNN, along with his network, was exposed for doxing private citizens who have supported Trump in some way, complained that conservatives who supposedly celebrated when a Virginia baker refused to host a 2012 campaign stop by then-presidential Joe Biden are being hypocritical by now supporting Sanders. How refusal to throw your business support behind a candidate during a political campaign compares to reserving, refusing services for a person's party affiliation. 
Playboy's Brian Kareem, whose emotional rants and inappropriate questions at press briefings had defined rudeness, responded to Sanders' tweet by whining that she hadn't delivered respect in the White House room. And we'll get to that tweet in a bit. But it's not the only case. Seth Rogen's being lauded all over the place. I hate when you're doing with the country at this moment, and I'm counting the days so you no longer have one iota of power that you currently have. And that was to Paul Ryan. Refused to take a photo with him. Drew McCoy. Pam Bondi is now the third high-profile Republican woman to be run out of polite society. She attempted to tan a screening of Mr. Rogers, and they attacked her in a Mr. Rogers movie. Greg Politz. Add movies to the list of things Republicans can't do under the new rules. First, Christian Jelton, Nielsen, I always fuck her name up, Dan, Pam Bonney, Sarah Sanders, you will be founded out of, you will be hounded out of decent society by the people that believe in fairness, quality and justice. People replied, karma's a bitch. Other person on this thread, shame, shame them in public every chance you get. Boo them. Refuse to serve them. Shame them. Scream at them. Every GOP member deserves this treatment. Every time they go into public. Shame. Ryan Knight sums up the week for the left. Stephen Miller heckled and called a fascist while eating at a Mexican restaurant. Kristen Nelson booed and her chance of shame at a Mexican restaurant. Sarah Sanders asked to leave by the owner of a red hand. We are the people and we're rising up. But let's go through the week that the left's really had. They lied about a little girl on the border and then justified the lie. Peter Fonda talked about kidnapping the president's son. Other people talked about kidnapping the president's grandson. Media pushed a horror story about a detention center in Virginia desperately trying to frame it as some sort of Trump scandal. It was Obama. They went crazy about Melania's $39 jacket. Resistance morons attacked Nielsen in a restaurant. Meryl Streep's cousin, we're not sure that's true, but it sounds funny, discriminated Sarah Sanders in a restaurant. Gay patriot, when this gets violent, I told you so. How does the media handle this? Their usual way. NPR, Trump staffers are hypocrites for eating at Mexican restaurants. As we said, Brian Kareem, with respect, I have not personally seen this on display in the White House briefing room. He's not, she's not respectful to him because of his rudeness. Jesse Ferguson, GOP is adamant that a cake baker in Colorado could decline to make a cake for someone who's LGBTQ. GOP is adamant that a restaurant in Virginia must serve a spokesperson for lying, racist, egomanic, with a dictator envy. Priorities. People try to tell him, you don't understand the word adamant. And the worst part about this, the press didn't even cover the four-year-old Clovey. Threatening and violent social media posts and overt actions against Trump administration officials and family have escalated sharply in the recent days. Apparently, some are taking the lack of outrage as permission for expanding the scope of their effort. Th- thus, it's not enough to threaten the president's 12-year-old as Fonda did, this week a Canadian TV writer threatened his four-year-old daughter. This incident was received some press coverage in the UK, but none in America. Paul Dussault, don't worry, we're coming for Chloe too. I read it last podcast. But here, through all of this, this is Kristen Powers again. 
This is what she talked about this week about Melania. Kirsten, I mean, it, it's crisis management 101 to not distract from your core mission. I mean, if you're on a journey of care, a, a, a visit to show you care, to wear a giant sign that says, I don't care, it, it's, I, I do not, I, mean, I literally thought it was a joke. I thought someone had, you know, put that up on, on Twitter and sort of, you know, doctored it or photoshopped it. Right, but I, I think this is their core message that they don't care. Uh, that she would go down there and do this, it tells us everything that we need to know. I mean, she's officially the Marie Antoinette of this administration. It should just say, let them eat cake. That is literally the message she is sending, that they just don't care about what's happening there. And again, it was, it was, I was in Washington this morning. Nobody's wearing jackets, first of all. Second of all, this is a woman who spends a lot of time very carefully picking out what she's going to wear. She's very mm -hmm. fashionable. This was not an accident. This was intentional. So I think then the president tweets out, well, it was all about the fake news, uh, which also just again shows that they don't care if that's what it was about, because I'm sorry, but it's a much bigger deal what's happening there on the border with people who really haven't broken the law, contrary to what we're being told. They're seeking asylum. That's not illegal. Uh, there's no reason to be locking them up without their children. This is not how it was handled in the past. So I'm just going to take it at face value and just say Melania doesn't care. I mean, I don't think we need to overanalyze it. But, but um, more often than not, you heard shit like this on MSNBC. And I'm putting the card a little bit in front of the f horse because this is basically justifying everything that's happening in the case of Waters, which we'll go into depth in a few seconds. But this is how the left sees it. You're going to hear a, a pundit on MSNBC justifying what M M Maxine Waters does. And you're going to hear Don Lemon do what most people did. Is this the end of civility? I'm not going to preface anything about Lemon. But on the other side, oh yeah, I, I'm I'm going to talk. So, is this the end of civility in America? If there were was any left, are we fanning the flames of division? Republican versus Democrat, non-Trumpster versus Trumpster, white versus brown and black, and straight versus gay, and all of that. When our own disagreements turn into personal attacks, are we playing into the hands of those who want to divide us? It is their purpose. Remember. People are doing this on purpose. Is turning incivility against members of the Trump administration really the answer? My husband and I politely left and went home. I was asked to leave because I work for President Trump. Well, or is it the unfortunate result when this administration, this president, rips more than 2,000 children from the arms of their parents and uses language claiming that immigrants and their children are invading and infesting our country? <clears throat> Excuse me. This president and his administration are outraged when their owner heckled or asked to leave a restaurant. Yet they support a business refusing to serve gay people claiming religious freedom. This is a president who just this weekend slammed Senator Elizabeth Warren again with a racial slur. Wacky Jackie is campaigning with Pocahontas. You believe this? Who attacked Senator John McCain, a war hero. He's not a war He's hero. A war hero. He's a war Five hero. Five and a half years. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured. Okay. It's a man who encouraged his supporters to use physical violence at his own rallies. 
I would have been out there fighting, folks. I don't know if I would have done well, but I would have been boom, boom, boom. I'll beat that. Hmm. He launched his campaign with multiple attacks on Mexicans. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. A president who equated anti-fascists with neo-Nazis and white supremacists, saying there were very fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. Even after a woman was killed, the suspect charged with first-degree murder just happened to be a Trump supporter. Well, this president has never stopped slamming NFL players for exercising their constitutional right to protest as well. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a off the field right now out he's fired he's fired and so on and so on and so on so if this is the end of civility in america is anybody really surprised but the real question for all of us is can we turn it back around well, I think that Maxine Waters essentially is um, a leader in the resistance movement. And I think what you heard her saying is not be violent towards Trump supporters, is not confront violently Trump supporters. What she's saying is that they should not be insulated from the social consequences of their policies. So if there are babies in cages over here, are you still going to be able to go out in polite society and have dinner with the democratic citizens of your country? You reap what you sow. The folks who work for him who are part of this uh, remarkably unconventional administration, and that's putting it as politely as I can on a Monday, uh, I don't think should be surprised at this reaction. I mean, are, are, are folks surprised at, at what they've gotten? Did they not know what they were voting for in terms of tone, tenor, substance, all of it? I think the Trump administration lecturing anyone Trump administration and their allies lecturing anyone on civility is ridiculous. You know what? Let's talk about something that actually matters in people's lives, which is these kids and their parents, and talk less about the treatment of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and more about the children who are dealing with this. Yes. What would an appropriate response look like? How polite do we have to be to people that are putting That's babies in cages? I would say that we don't have to be polite to those folks. I would say that the polite discourse is inappropriate when there are babies in cages. I think that, you know, we're calmly discussing this, and I think that this is a moment. It's an inflection point for this country. There are babies in jail right now in the United States. They are the reason we don't have civility. Don Lemon goes on every fucking night and lectures the American people that you're all fucking racist. Donnie Deutsch went on TV last week and said this. Look at this maniac, um, uh, uh, Donnie uh, Deutsch. <laughs> I know, having a little fun. Donnie Deutsch on MSNBC, listen to this maniac and how he talks about you, by the way. He's not talking about just Trump anymore. He's talking about you. You vote for Donald Trump. Play Donald. What has to happen now, this can no longer be about who Trump is. It has to be about who we are. If we are working towards November, we can no longer say Trump's the bad guy. If you vote for Trump, you're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. If you vote for Trump, it's you are ripping children from parents' arms. The mistake that we've made in the past is look at that bad guy over there, look at that bad guy. What the Democrats have to do is make the next election a referendum on not who Trump is, 
but who you are. If you vote for Trump, then you, the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald But if you vote, you can no longer accept yourself. You can't say, well, he's okay, but that gymnastics and I think that jujitsu has to happen. Oh, this is it, Deutsch, right, Donnie Deutsch? Donnie Dope. What an idiot. Donnie, that's a great... Donnie, is it, Denise, can someone Google this in the studio? Has Donnie ever run for office? I don't think he has, right? Like, Donnie, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, he must be successful in some... I don't know what his thing is. I've seen him on TV before. I'm, and great, I'm just a successful capitalist. Congratulations, uh, um, um, Donnie Dope. That, that's great. I'm, I'm proud of you. I, don't, I guess you've never run for office before. Um, it you, know, I have, you know, I lost... Patrick's it checking it. Right? No, so I'm not crazy. Nothing's right? coming up. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. See, we cracked studio there. Patrick's on top of it like that. So it looked like Donnie Deutsch has ever run for office before. Donnie, just, now Democrats, I'm encouraging you strongly, by the way, to take Donnie Deutsch's advice here. Take Deutsch's advice and start attacking Americans who support Trump for being Nazis and racist. And take their, because you will get annihilated in the midterm elections. Literally, we'll leave the violent stuff for you because that's your thing now, as we've seen. We've got more on that, too. But this is the worst advice I've ever... Jimmy Carter, remember in the 1980s? Denise, you remember the Malays speech when Jimmy Carter got up from the Oval Office and started talking about how America is Malays, the worst country ever. We're in a Malays. Oh, who the hell wants to hear that? No one wanted to hear about a Malays. You think they want to hear Donnie Deutsch telling everybody how they're a Nazi? Vote for me or you're a Nazi. Support Trump or you're a, and you're a Nazi. Is this guy serious? The answer is yes, they are. They are. They're losing their minds. They have completely become detached from reality. Trump has enraged them. What do you think people are going to do? You're the one ratcheting up that everybody's evil in Trump. And not only is the Trump administration evil, all his voters are fucking racist. But they do it all the time to conservative women. Here's a soundbite of conservative women refuting what liberal women think about them. I'm Calvin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at the Young Women's Leadership Summit with Turning Point USA, talking to attendees about misconceptions that young conservative women face. Let's see what they have to say. What do you think are misconceptions people have about young conservative women? That they're all bigoted, that they're um, victims of the patriarchy, that we're brainwashed. That we don't exist at all. Oh, you're just conservative because your parents are. It's that we're racist or, you know homophobic or all those typical cliche things that they throw at us. Well, Hillary Clinton thinks our husbands told us to vote. I'm unfortunately still single, so I don't have a husband who's telling me how to vote. So I created my own mind for myself, and that's definitely a misconception. We're stuck in, like, the 1950s, and we, like, we still believe in gender roles, and we don't speak for ourselves. I get that so much, so I think that's the biggest misconception. And immediately I'm seen as, like, a racist. That I'm, like, suppressed by white males, or that they think that I'm um, choosing that political belief because of my parents or the men in my life, when in reality, like, this is my decision. I feel more free now that I'm conservative than I ever did when I was a liberal. That I'm a submissive person. Like, oh, you're only going to vote for who the, they tell you to vote for. Or that we only are conservative because our husbands are conservative. We Talking about you, Hillary Clinton, saying those comments. 
which is untrue and kind of insulting. That if you're a conservative, you do not support immigrants. You don't support the less fortunate. So I used to be a big Bernie bro, and I worked on this campaign for a while, and then I just realized like how radical the left was. Like They're so radical, and they don't really care about facts. They're all about the feelings. The only opinions we get are from our parents or from boys. Like We can't actually make our own opinions. Got it. Is that insulting? <laughs> yeah, it is, because <laughs> we are educated women, and we can form opinions by ourselves. I don't vote for who people tell me to vote for. I'm not a submissive person. I can think for myself. Yes. You should vote this way because you are a woman, and they use a lot of identity politics and think that we buy into that, and I do not buy into that. A lot of people that I know who are liberals have told me, it's like, how can you be a conservative as a woman? And my answer is like, how can you not? Like, that statement alone should tell you that maybe you're on the wrong side of this. When people find out you're conservative, have you experienced that they treat you any differently? Uh, yes, easily. Yeah. It's mostly teachers. I got extreme backlash for going to the inauguration. I have honestly lost friends over it, and I think that's really sad because I'm all for respecting both sides and respecting differences, and people are extremely judgmental, especially as a girl who's a young conservative. When I tell people, they kind of assume the worst of me or the littlest of me. In my entire experience, I have felt like being a woman has been more of a benefit, and it's never held me back. I was so sick of having my liberal professors tell me I was a victim because I was a woman. It's just disheartening. It's weird, and it's just the victimhood culture is disgusting. You have to stand up for yourself. Like, be true to who you are. Don't back down. They don't know anybody. Like, Paige in Oregon didn't had never met an American soldier. These people don't know. They don't have any conservative friends. They live in a bubble, they only talk to liberals, they sit in an echo chamber, and their whole life is, oh, that's horrible. And they don't want facts. Because once again, facts get in the fucking way. Obama did it. 70 fucking 3,000. Nobody at the border, no protesting, nobody run out of restaurants. And it's not me talking. It's his DHS head. It's a very measured process. And so the TVPRA in 2008 was put in place to make certain that we treat unaccompanied children. We're talking about unaccompanied children you know, I, in a fair way. I, I understand that. Let, let, let's look, because you mentioned it, at how the Obama administration and you as Secretary of Homeland Security handled this back in 2014 when there was also a spike in children, most of them unaccompanied, coming across the border. Uh, you started jailing entire families in some cases not a lot but as a, in some you separated children from their parents and these pictures that we're putting up from 2014 show pictures of unaccompanied minors in in effect jail situations uh, as you look back on that did you handle it so well well chris without a doubt the images and the reality from 2014 just like 2018 are not pretty and so we expanded family detention. We had then 34,000 beds for family detention, only 95 of 34,000 equipped to deal with family. So we expanded it. I freely admit it was controversial. We believed it was necessary at the time. I still believe it is necessary to main a certain capability for families. We can't have catch and release. And in my three years, we deported or repatriated or returned over a million people but again 
you can deal with this on the border. You can try different things. We did not want to go so far as separate families, but unless we deal with the underlying causes that are motivating people to come here in the first place, we're going to continue to bang our heads. The media won't hammer that. They won't go back and forth over and over and play and put on the chirons. This isn't new. This isn't Trump. They want it to be Trump. They want the rancor. They want people fired up. They want the Dems to have the blue wave. So they're trying to support them, the Chuck Todds, the Brian Seltzers, the New Days, CNN, MSDNC, NBC, ABC, CBS. They want this to be the one thing that gets the Dems power. Because they want Dems back in power because they hate that fucking president. But they don't report it. They don't report the facts, the truth. Be intellectually honest. This isn't the first time we've ever done it. And it's not a crisis. It's 12,000 kids. It's not 74,000 in 2013. uh, 25,000 in 2014. We're not talking about that. We're also not talking about police. 25 injured in a building explosion in Germany. It was a terrorist cell from the immigrants. Migrants attacked German ambulance crew. Emergency doctors suffered traumatic brain injury from immigrants attacking them. The nine times MS-13 gang members posed as minors used kids to enter U.S. illegally. One MS-13 gang member smuggled himself and a child in the U.S. on May 2nd, 2018 border and was apprehended. Two, MS-13 gang member who poses an unaccompanied minor accused of murder. He snuck in in 2013. Three, MS-13 gang member used her child to try to enter May 1st, 2018. Four, MS-13 gang member entered U.S. illegally as unaccompanied minor December 31st, 2014. Five, MS-13 MS gang member brings child to border, gets released May 9th, 2018. Six, unaccompanied minor arrested MS-13 gang murdered. May 13, 2015. Previously deported illegal alien rapists used an immigration loophole to try to re-enter the U.S. And MS-13 gang member used her child to try to enter U.S. illegally. This one was March 22, 2018. MS-13 gang member brings child to border, gets released on December 29, 2017. Currently, the U.S. admits more than 1.5 million legal and illegal immigrants every year, with more than 70% coming to the country through the process known as chain migration, whereas... Newly naturalized citizens can bring an unlimited number of foreign relatives to the country. In the next 20 years, the current U.S. legal immigration track is on track to import roughly 15 million new former-born voters, foreign-born voters. Between 7 and 8 million of those foreign-born voters will arrive in the U.S. through chain migration. Brought to you by the Democrats. How about this one? 11 MS-13 gang members charged with kidnap murder of two Virginia teens. Did, did you hear it? I, I don't see that. What you do hear is blue checks like Noah Smith justifying it. Here's his Twitter screed. The idea that you shouldn't compare any regime to the Nazis until the genocide actually begins is crazy. Why should we wait until it's too late to start having pointed discussions about incipient totalitarianism? 
oh, uh, well, they did commit genocide and start some war. So I guess they were like the Nazis after all. Well, except their genocide and war only killed 9.2 million people instead of 30 million. So they weren't really like the Nazis. Let's keep our comparisons appropriate. Actually, world population was much lower in 42 than it was in 2022. So the comparison with the Nazis is even less appropriate. Good point. They're even less like the Nazis than I originally allowed. On a more serious note, good reason to compare Trump administration to Nazi include being able to discuss out loud the chance that Trump might someday be Hitler, decrying the ways Trump has always gone more in a Nazi direction than we'd like of everyone afraid to bring it up. Ah, that's okay. NPR. Violent crimes appear to fall when immigrants are living in a community. Illegally. They ran that article. They ran that article. And then through it all, they ignored the Angel family. Or if they did, they disparaged it. Because Fox was running it. These are the stories that Democrats and people that are weak on immigration, they don't want to discuss, they don't want to hear, they don't want to see, they don't want to talk about. No major network sent cameras to their homes or displayed the images of their incredible loved ones across the nightly news. They don't do that. They don't talk about the death and destruction. That was President Trump earlier today shedding light on the stories of those not often told in this debate. Our country's angel families, as they are known, because their loved ones were killed by people who were in this country illegally and should never have been here in the first place. Everybody wants to blame, but the parents of those children are to blame. None of our kids had a minute to say goodbye. We weren't lucky enough to be separated for five days or ten days. We're separated permanently. Our separation, like everybody has said, is permanent. Sarah never gets to go on to be a wife, a mother. I brought my son. This is what I have left, his ashes. I wear his ashes in a locket. This is how I get to hug my son. It was stunning today. Uh, we are not hearing those stories enough. And most of what is on TV is families talking about their heartbreak while they face separation temporarily at the border. It's ugly to be separated from your kids without knowing what is going to become of them. I feel helpless. She says it's hard to hear someone you love suffering. So here now are three angel moms who were at the event today, Marianne Mendoza, Laura Wilkerson, and Agnes Gibney. Uh, ladies, thank you. I, I watched this afternoon. It was a very moving ceremony. Um, and, you know, Marianne, I'm sure that you wake up every morning like everybody else in America, and you, you watch what is the focus almost 100% of the time of this conversation about what's going on at the border, and it must be, you must feel very ignored, very left out of what seems to be so heartbreaking and passionate for so many. Thank you for having me. Um, more than more than the feeling of being ignored is the feeling of just like desperate feeling that that the American public needs to really know what's going on. And when you have a problem like what's happening at the border, you can't 
start at the end result and start placing blame, you have to go back to the origin of the problem. And that's what the parents, the mothers letting their children go with these smugglers and the cartel bringing these children to our borders. That's where the anger needs to be directed. It should not be directed at the, at the United States for upholding its laws. And quite frankly, I'm happy that the United States was able to step in and save some of these children from the fate they were dealt. And who knows what was going to happen to them? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's worth pointing out that for many of these kids, um, the worst part of the journey is has ended. Um, you know, now they're they are in a safe place and they're in an unfortunate situation in many of these cases. But as you also point out, the vast majority of them are coming over as unaccompanied minors. Um, they're they're sent over or they're brought over by coyotes um, in a situation that, that can be very dangerous for them. Um, yes. Laura, you spoke today about your son. I, I, if you wouldn't mind, again, giving everybody at home a sense of what you went through and why this is so hard for you to watch. Thank you. Yes, our story um, is just horrific, like all the other moms. You know, Josh went to school one day, and he never came home, and that, that's forever. Um, an illegal alien brought here by his parents when he was 10 years old, overstayed a visa, and he needed Josh's truck to scrap for some money, and he um, beat him in the head with a closet rod so hard it broke in four pieces. You know, he kicked him until his spleen sliced. He strangled him over and over and over again until he didn't breathe anymore. Then he tied him up like an animal and put him in a field and set him on fire. This is forever. They, tr I know they don't understand the meaning of suffering. We will suffer for the rest of our life on this earth here about the loss of child. It's, you know, I, I would give anything to be able to Skype with them or talk to him or call him. Uh, you have to know that this, it happens more than anybody wants to report. I'm not, you know, we're not just three mothers up here. It's across the board everywhere you go. And it means so much to us to be able to follow the law. You know, th those parents are in control of those children. They make decisions on their behalf. We would be charged with neglect if I made those same decisions for Joshua. Um, you know, we, we would. Agnes, you were also, your story was so moving today. I watched and you, you did talk about President Trump and how you feel about what he has done in terms of priorities. And, you know, that is not the story that we're hearing in a lot of places. Most people are, you know, you look at the cover of Time magazine, um, and, and he's looking down at this little girl and they're photoshopped together and he's supposed to be this, you know, big evil person hovering over her. But that was not what you were portraying today at all. Tell me why. Not at all. President Trump, is a man of tremendous integrity and he kept his word about uh, protecting us and giving us a voice and our, uh, uh, the tragedies that uh, fell on our families. Look, when I immigrated to this country, I, I was under the impression that my government was really taking care of us. And when my son was murdered, I didn't know for 11 years that the man that killed my son was an illegal aid and had an ICE hold. The media doesn't report uh, truthfully what separation of families really is, but I would like to show everybody what real separation of families is. This is what separates my son and myself is a coffin and six feet of dirt. How is that for real separation of families? And as a legal immigrant, I am really offended that Congress isn't working with President Trump to fix this uh, mess. This has been going on for way too long, and we need to fix this because if we don't fix it now, how many more millions are going to continue to come in and invade our country? We don't owe illegal aliens anything. We need to take care of our own. We have military. We have homeless people. We have children living in poverty. We need to take care of our own.
Well, we hope uh, there'll be some kind of resolution. The president said today maybe Congress should wait until after November. He wants more Republicans on board. Um, we'll see where it goes. Ladies, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank, thank you. you. These are the American citizens permanently separated from their loved ones. The word permanently being the word that you have to think about. Permanently. They're not separated for a day or two days. They are permanently separated because they were killed by criminal illegal aliens. Paul, you're a messaging guru. Um, I know that this is the other side of the aisle for you and then some, but what do you think of what he's trying to do there? He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's taking this raw, real pain that these poor families are suffering, which is authentic, and he's politicizing it, right? It is monstrous to take these folks' pain and then to try to use it to divide America. Um, it is true, as, as we saw from the guy from the Customs and Border Patrol Agents Union, that the immigrant population commits fewer crimes. You know, why doesn't he have a meeting with families of people who've been killed by right-wing white nationalist extremists? You know, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, says 71% of all the extremist murders that have occurred in America in the last decade have been committed by white nationalist neo-Nazis. That's a real problem. That pain is real. But that shouldn't be exploited for politics either. And he doesn't seem very interested in folks, you know, who've been murdered by the, the extreme right. He, I don't know that he's ever met with the family of Heather Heyer, who was allegedly, she was murdered, but she was allegedly by, by right-wing extremists in Charlottesville. So th that's the kind of politicization that is really monstrous. There, this idea that there's like this infestation, to use Trump's words, that we suddenly are, are getting infested with illegal immigrants is just a complete myth. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the numbers from last year about border apprehensions on the southwest border, they were at their lowest level since 1971. Furthermore, as the ACLU lawyer um, that you just had on mentioned, a lot of these people are not even actually crossing the border illegally. They are trying to present themselves at a port of entry which is what the U.S. government tells them to do. So they are, again, to reiterate, they are not crossing the border illegally. They are applying for asylum. They are still being separated from their children. And the reason why this has been happening, the reason why it has been a Trump administration policy, is to serve as a deterrent. It's not about, you know... Uh, punishing people for breaking the law, which, again, this would be a, a misdemeanor even if they had broken the law, which many of them are not. Do yes. you think kids are being kept in things that you could suggest are cages? Those yes or no? Cages? No, I don't think those are cages. So wait, so your and argument just was, look, oh, yes, like they the are, but they so are. The exactly. Is that what you just said? Hold on. Oh, one voice at a time. Right. Okay. You just said, yeah. but so too were they under Obama. You cannot have it both ways. Either you're treating these kids like crap or you're not. If you are and you are, then you can't say so did Obama because we just had the ACLU guy. And as you know, they'll go after anybody. They do it all the time. They were really upset in 2014 about those unaccompanied minors and how they were treated like crap. They went after Obama, but they didn't see it as the point of a policy perfected. And that's what they see here with you guys, that you wanted this to happen, you knew it would happen, and you did it to send a message. Now you have to own it. Well, well what message is that? I mean, one message... If you come here, Trump, we're going to do bad things that, look, to you. I don't, we expected those that wanted asylum to follow the law and to go to the point of the ones entry, who are, you're locking up anyway. That's what the, the, the cases about in the ACLU...
Chuck Todd, it's not a good look on some when they act so self-righteous about time and consistently look the other way on their favorite media outlet. Two wrongs never make a right. Jody Barrett, so better just look the other way and bored like you do on NBC? We had Seltzer's reply last time. This story from the so-called reliable source guy isn't a lie itself. It's just whining about people talking about it as part of a bigger problem. And the circle just keeps going round and round and round. So Lizza corrected his fake article on time. The image taken by photographer John Moore showing a girl crying on her mother's search has instantly become the touchstone of the family separation crisis. That scared little girl just opposed against the towering Trump looming over in a black suit is a startling image, and it's okie-dokie that it's a fucking lie. A weeba, a weeba-jew echoche, because they carefully cropped, used, and misrepresented the picture of a crying toddler whose mom was right beside her. Derek Hunter, liberal journalists are working to manipulate you, not inform you. Gotta love the shameless lies spread by fake news media. When CNN wonders why they don't trust them, nobody trusts them, gets called fake news. Just remember how they support articles like this. Here's the deal. The red fucking hand can do whatever the fuck they want. I'm all for free fucking speech. The issue is... If you think you can compare a party affiliation to religious beliefs, that just proves more about you than anything else. Because that's how the left's trying to do this. I could give a fuck if businesses do this. If you think you can just serve liberals, go and have yourself a great day. But the left is now a fucking rabid mob. Who are threatening people's very existence on this planet because they don't believe their form of politics. Nobody who refused a gay cake kicked them out. No gay people have been hounded in every restaurant. No gay people have people surround their fucking house. As we'll see, no gay people had dead animal carcasses dropped on the front porch. There's never been a concerted effort to go and hound gay people by a political party in the media. We're talking apples and banana, but that's CNN, man. That That's what our media is. We just make that shit up. We sit there and put faux outrage over stupid shit, and then when some really serious shit happens, oh, well, the right does this. When Scalise was shot and a guy was apprehended with a fucking list of assassinations he wanted to do, the media asked Republicans, what are we going to do about civility? They never once, Chuck Todd, CNN, none of them ever said, hey, does your party have a crisis problem right now? Have we ratcheted up too much? And remember, these are the people that attacked Sarah Palin but put in a fucking crosshair on a map. We have reporters putting crosshairs on people's faces, and now we have mobs threatening, threatening people and congresswomen. Threatening people. It's a threat. Kyle Becker had a good screed on this. Gonna read it. We're gonna get to Maxine. It's coming. 
The U.S. media were, were completely exposed this week for using false images, some of them from the Obama administration, to manipulate the public. The Time magazine covers an instant classic piece of propaganda. The image of a crying child was plastered to cover the time facing President Trump, blah, blah, blah. The father child revealed that she was taken away, blah, 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 blah. The child was not separated. Time retracted the claim she was separated from her mother, but the story stood. The magazine had accomplished its goal of stirring outrage about Border Patrol agents and President Trump. His aged agenda trumped the facts. Its agenda trumped the facts. Viral political cartoonist from artist Justin Tedero showing a humanized Statue of Liberty holding the hand of a small child. It, and it's, it is social commentary on America, heart-wrenching experience of watching small children separated from parents and adults. Statue of Liberty in this cartoon remarks upon the jacket worn by Melania Trump, who made headlines with the ironic jacket that Biden said, I really don't care to you, towards the media. Um, Melania Trump's jacket was a jab at media outlets that routinely demonized and de- dehumanized her. Teen Vogue Lily called her the devil. Bill Maher joked her jacket would say that's Mr. Hitler to you. He made her point. These are the same outlets that America are taking cues from on the meaning of sympathy. While we are on the issue of sympathy for children, many parents of these migrant children send them alone to the United States with human traffickers. An estimated 7,500 people have died trying to cross the border in the last 17 years. It is a dangerous and often deadly journey. The parents who send their kids alone to America separate themselves from their children. At least 70,000 kids a year by one estimate. That is reckless and heartless child separation, not housing, feeding, and clothing these poor children whose parents chose to break the law. Misguided policies are fueled fueling child migration, putting them at risk of being captured by the drug cartel or abused by a human trafficker. Laura Wilkerson lost her 18-year-old son Josh, who was tortured and beaten to death by illegal immigrants. She told Trump, we weren't lucky enough to be separated for 5 to 10 days. We're separated permanently. Anytime we want to visit our son, we go to visit him in the cemetery. This is the ultimate separation of a child from his parent. The Statue of Liberty is not, is an, is not, is an invitation to every human being on the planet to enter however he or she so chooses. It stands as a beacon of hope for people around the world. If America does not protect its freedom, it will be lost as a sanctuary from oppression and liberation. Liberty is the reason people flee to America. Illegal immigration is an assault on citizens' right to preserve their own political community and to defend their own rights. The Democratic Party, support of open borders, attempt to dilute support for constitutionally limited government. It is also cynical to foster dependency on the entitlement state and to broaden the base of its own political support. This is not a policy of compassion. It's one of cold, calculated self-interest. The Democratic Party and its media associates need to mass this selfish calculation. They need to feign compassion. They need images of children suffering in detention centers. Even those images were taken on Obama, who did nothing but worsen the situation. When the Republican Party sought legislation to alleviate the border crisis, the Democratic Party leadership shut them down. It's not about the children. It's about the political goal that children can be exploited to promote open borders. It's also why Trump executive order to keep families together while in the detention, restoring the status quo under Obama, was greeted with such hostility by Democrats in the media. He called their bluff. How dare he? Yes, we should absolutely care about every child. We also need to care about who comes in the country. If every child deserves freedom and opportunity, we must cherish and protect the country so there is an America to flee to. He's right. They will destroy the country to get voters. As we've seen all week, most of the people that are doing this, that is their base, are socialists. 
They don't want America the way it is. They want a socialist America. Bread lines, everybody has something. No rich people, the 1% are banished, yada, yada, yada. The government, cradle to grave, takes care of you. They love Bernie. Democratic establishment only shut Bernie down because they knew, goddamn, the American people really knew who the fuck we are. They never vote for us. They literally are still arguing about the American Red Cross. Saying they're being, red journals are saying off one tweet, I'm not going to read the tweet, they've asked for permission to go in, the government's working with how they can, they've not been denied admission, 100 journalists said the Red Cross is being denied access. Joe Scarborough got in a whole tiff saying the Red Cross is not a conservative organization because they told him, no, 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 no. This is not true. This is the exact tweet. This is not true, and we are sorry if our statement led you to a conclusion. We've had discussions with the federal officials to see if there's a way we can help, but no one is banning us from anything. And if there is a role for the Red Cross to play, we will. Initially, Scarborough tweeted it, but understand his first tweet saying, hey, they're banning the Red Cross. 10K. Hey, American Red Cross says, no, that's not true. 70. 70 fucking tweets. And lost in this, Matthew Langazi. Who's going to cook the food of the Republican-only restaurants? More racism. Yeah. Hmm. They're not going to stop. I got a Stephanie Rule sound. I'm not going to play it. She's scoffing about the children being used. I just read it. Scoffing. Oh, it's not real. No. No, we're not doing it. But understand, I'm going to get to vaccine. But I want to put the money shot up first. The American people are exactly what I said they were. Because the polls came out. They ran a lot of polls after all this. They really want a poll to show Trump's evil and his voters are racist. They couldn't get it. CBS poll, and 21% of voters favor releasing illegal immigrants in the country. Three quarters support incarceration or deportation. A poll from the 21st to the 22nd after the family crisis. Damn advantage down to four points on generic ballot. In key states, Rick Scott's leading. Ted Cruz is pounding Benny O'Rourke. There was only one they could find had a Democratic advantage. Drew McCoy. You know, I'm starting to think there might be some difference between the concerns of a lot of Americans and the activists that make up the Democratic base and the media. Chris Hayes. I find myself obsessively running through experiments of what the president could say about immigrants that would be a breaking point. And the feeling panic, the answer is nothing. Greg Polowitz. At what point does it become clear the voters want tougher border security and it's not Trump pushing them? Chris Hayes. Have you seen the polling on the wall? And everybody gave them it because they don't want to read the polls. They're still trying to cook up some numbers over there. And understand the CBS inlays, 39% Democrat. It was the largest group. And it didn't match up to their worldview. 
Rich Lowry, CBS poll finds strong support for removing migrant families units together, even over releasing them. Walter Russell, this poll is right. The most popular policy on migration seems to be treat them well while here and keep the families together, but also deport them quickly and try to build a wall. In there, which comes close to your view, whether the U.S. finally decides to admit them or not? 54% exactly what he just said. Treat them well, get them the fuck out. Which of these do you think should be done with families trying to enter? 48% release the entire family back to their home country. Only one release the entire family in the U.S. 21%. Do you think the wall on the U.S.-Mexico border is a good idea? 32. A good idea that should be tried? 19. A bad idea? 48. Majority. A plurality. A plurality. Another article. CNBC tried to cook some numbers. Majority of Americans approve of Trump's handling of the comedy for the first time. CNBC survey. Trump's economic approval rating surges six points to 51%, according to the latest CNBC All-American Economic Survey. 54% say the economy is good or excellent. The highest record by CNBC in 10 years of the survey. The recent headlines in immigration have not hurt him. His overall approval rating rose to 41% for the first quarter survey, but the percentage of Americans who disapproved dropped 10 points to 47%, the lowest recorded by CNBC during his presidency. Trump's approval rating remains negative and minus 6, but it's also the lowest negative rating ever. The survey suggests that the recent controversy over the president's decision to separate children from the parents is not affecting anything. And it was a poll of 800 Americans... 39% motherfucking Democrats. It's still cooked. It's still cooked. It's still cooked to the left and it's not working. Stunned. New York Times numbed to outrage. Trump's GOP approval has grown. We're so upset. Jeremy Peters is astonished that Trump's support in the Republican Party has grown and doesn't understand the protective reaction to unhinged attacks on him. The Times reporter also overstates the significance of a tiny drop in reported GOP affiliation, a Gallup long-running poll, while ignoring a significant shift of GOP leading tendencies among independents. He also disguised key data masking what appeared to be meaningful growth in support for Trump among minorities. Peters' headline and opening paragraph capsulized as clear, we can't believe this is happening, Manstead. Numb to outrage, Republican voters feel a deepened bond to Trump. Addressing the underlying items, Pew Research Poll, which was the Times' primary information source, revealed that both Republicans and Democrats are more engaged in following the news now than during the lead-up to previous midterms. So, it's not a matter of being numb to outrage. Trump's critics' equation of separating migrant children from the parent with the Holocaust and FDR internmanship of Japanese-American during World War II has been so over the top that even Peters had to recognize it. At this point, there are at least as many people asking how can Trump opponents act like children and thugs as there are those asking Trump supporters how they continue to support him. The press apparently can't afford to let the myth of Trump's low approval rating die. Rasmus's latest poll through Friday had Trump approval of 46%, the same as Barack Obama at the same point. The same point. It's the same. They break down the demographics. He's up. 
with blacks. He's up with Latinos. Because as I said before, they're no different than the regular Americans. They're not this hegemonic socialist group. Minorities, as we classify them in America, are more conservative than anything else, but they've been brainwashed that, oh, they're all a bunch of fucking racists over there. Because that's what the media says. They're all Nazis. Another one. Black Americans prefer deportation of illegals. CBS New, New YouGov poll. 40% of black Americans think they should go back. Only 20% agree with the Democrats. 51% in another poll believe the border wall is a good idea. Knowing all that, knowing all of that, they know it. Liberals know this. They have their own polls. Their actions, their comments are not resounding with the American people. They are extremists. On every social justice fucking conversation we have, Maxine Waters goes out and does this. How dare you pull children out of the arms of their mothers? How dare you lie and say you couldn't do anything about it? You're the one who caused it, and you're the one that we're going to make to turn it back, because what you're doing now is lying, lying, lying. The American people have put up with this president long enough. What more do we need to see? What more lies do we need to hear? It is time for us to say, even though there are those who don't want us to say it, Mr. President, you need to be impeached. He has done more than is needed to be impeached. But putting this on top of all that he has done, his alignment with Russia and Putin, his love of the of the dictators of the world, how he has not said one word about the fact that they've tapped into our DNC, underlined our democratic process. He's not said one thing about it, but he can wrap his arms around another dictator, Kim Jong-un, and tell us we ought to swallow it. We'll throw it to Mr. President. We're not going to swallow it. To swallow it, you have disrespected all of us. You have violated all of us. And now you have sacrificed our children for your aims and your goals just because you want to build a wall. Mr. President, there will be no wall built on the back of these children. You lied. You lied and you said you were going to make Mexico pay for it. They're not going to pay for it. We're not going to pay for it. Because history is not going to be kind to this administration. But we want history to record that we stood up. That we pushed back. That we fought. That we did not consider ourselves victims of this president. History will record that while he tried to step on all of us, we kicked him in his rear and we stepped on him. And so the president 
who lies all the time, who will change on the drop of a dime. The president is watching what is going on, and the only reason he came up with this fake initiative of his is to try and say to the people that he's seen come out in huge numbers, okay, 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 uh, I'm sorry, I'm scared, I'm going to back it up, but he didn't back it up enough. He didn't back it up enough because that initiative that he's put out does not define how they're going to connect these children with their parents. They don't know where our children are. They don't have numbers or identifications where they can connect parents. And some parents have been deported and their children are still here somewhere. That's unconscionable. And between this president and that racist attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and John Kelly, they all said that they were going to do this. They said publicly that they were going to separate these children from their parents in an issue that they've tried to use to get that wall built so they can intimidate all of us. But again, the message has to be, Mr. President, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of Jeff Sessions. We're not afraid of John Kelly. We're not afraid of your administration. And while you think you have gotten away with everything that you have done, we are going to show you that you haven't gotten away with anything. We want the children back. We want them connected to their parents. We want it done now. We're going to insist on it. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who saying no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And guess what? We're going to win this battle because while you try and quote the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. On the side of the children, on the side of what's right, on the side of what's honorable, on the side of understanding that if we can't protect the children, we can't protect anybody. And so let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd, and you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. We've got to get the children connected to their parents. The children are suffering. We don't know if the shock that they're going through can ever be overcome. We don't know what damage is being done to these children. All that we know is they're in cages, they're in prisons, they're in jails. I don't care what they call it. That's where they are. And Mr. President, we will see you every day, every hour of the day, everywhere that we are to let you know you cannot get away with this. Thank you so very much. Here is exactly what she said. Maxine Waters calls for attacks on Trump administration. If you see him, anybody from the cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push them back.
and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Stephen Miller, barely a year ago, a Bernie Sanders campaign volunteer, opened fire on a baseball field full of Republican members of Congress. Steve Deese, I'm old enough to remember when I was on CNN with Brian Seltzer after attempted mass assassination of GOP congressman doing a panel on toying, toning down the rhetoric, incitement. Oh, wait, she's a damn. Nothing to see here. By all means, turn her into a hero, Democrats. They have. John Legend, why are these hypothetical persuadables hanging on Maxine Waters' every word? Letting it, just playing it down. Oh, that's no big deal. Vox. Voters have a responsibility to confront incivility that threatens democracy rather than to prioritize treating officials super politely. Zach Bochamp, from his article, Voters Have Responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Stephen Wilkerson, the restaurant owner who kicked out Sanders, or Stephanie Wilkerson, said this explicitly when Washington Post reporters asked her what she was thinking. This feels like a moment in our democracy where people have to make uncomfortable actions and decision to uphold their morals. Fuck the morals of Christians. When you gotta force people to give morning after pills, abortion, uh, birth control when it's against the religion, making cake. Fuck that! Fuck your morals! My morals about I don't like your policies! Trumpet! Uh, oh, okay. Wilkinson also told the Pulse this crucial point, that she did what she did because Sanders was a public official and that she had a regular customers who are poli- politically conservative and has no problem serving them. Fantasies of separating restaurants from Democrats and Republicans are just that. Fantasies. See, apparently Zach is making this argument around the idea that it was uncivil for Sanders to even be there. Nancy Pelosi didn't condemn it. It's a crucial month ahead. We must strive to make America beautiful again. Trump's daily lack of civility, it's Trump's fault. RB, but check out the response from liberals who are mad at Nancy. Peter Dow, please Democrats, do not fall into the Republican media, media, Republican media. Because it's all Republican. That's how extreme these people are. Uh, of agreeing that peaceful protesting people are enabling a march to fashion as being uncivil. In fact, a mark of civilization is resisting the ever-present force of oppression. Terrell J. Starr. Hello, Pelosi. And be careful not to throw a black woman under the bus. As a privileged white woman, you don't get to choose that. Okay. Everybody, please follow Camelia Harris, who's a fighter, not an enabler. What did she say about Maxine Waters? We will need no one to fight alone for their civil rights. That's what she said. That's what she said. And the scariest! It's the second time! David Axelrod couldn't disagree more with Maxine Waters, disgusted with his administration's policies, organize, donate, volunteer, vote. Rousting cabinet members from restaurants is an empty and ultimately counterproductive gesture that won't change a thing. And he was attacked! Schumer, no one should call for harassment of political opponents. Dogged by the resistance. Steve Scalise, civility and respect always prevail over harassment and disrespect. Adam Best, a blue check. Here's the difference. When someone on the left does something dangerous, we unequivocally denounce instead of enabling or even excusing. He said that to a man that was shot by a Democrat. Shot! In our fucking Hollywood! Lena Dunham, Sia Amber Heard, and other stars visited the border city of Chernilo, Texas to protest the Trump administration. 
They all took pictures. There's hardly anybody there. Actress Avon Rachel Wood from my show Westworld is here in McCallum. She wanted people to know they're not alone. This isn't about party right now. This is about the children. She tweeted, just hang out with some families at one of the shelters. People are sent to while they're being processed. Played with the kids for hours. They're so sweet. Insanely smart and creative. They have obviously been through a lot and need supplies and medicine. She also announced that she's on, I'm fasting for 24 hours with the break bread, not family hunger strike. Then she tweeted, American or certain organizations like the Red Cross have not been given permission to donate supplies. They tweeted her back. Please note, we had discussions. We're not banned. She didn't care. She didn't even acknowledge it. I get, I let her have it. I said, you know, you say it's about, not about parties, but when Obama did it, you didn't care. When Clinton made the fucking law, you didn't care. You're lying and you're biased. I love your show, but you're ignorant. CNN using debunked child immigration photo, Fred's Trump will benefit. They're still using it. I saw bumpers. They're still using the photo. And it's a lie. So what did the media do about this? You heard Lemon. Basically, it's Trump's fault. And on the back end of this, there's only one media member who accosted Maxine Waters. And that's Laura Loomer. So let's listen to this. Uh, and uh, gradually, I think I think both sides have now reached the point where they're so frustrated and so fed up and so impatient for change uh, mm-hmm. that this could lead almost anywhere. It is extraordinarily divisive. I cannot remember a time. The anti-war movement in Vietnam, the, the civil rights movement, uh, you know, in the 60s and early 70s, both of those were much more civil in tone. Mm-hmm. Even the anti-war movement was more civil in tone, but certainly the civil rights movement among the people who were protesting. Listen, I, I, I do think that the cultural issue is, is a fair point, that our culture does not, it has, has never been very, um, you know, Hollywood culture has been never, never very sympathetic, for example, to the pro-life movement. It has, it's not very sympathetic to the Tea Party movement. Uh, and there are a lot of Americans who feel like they've been treated as second-class citizens. But I must tell you, we have never had a president who has lit the fire and put the country on boil more than this one. I think if, you know, the culture has been here for a long time. What has dr- dramatically changed is the nature of our leadership and the un- incivility in Washington. Now, incivility preceded Donald Trump to Washington. It was there long before he got there. The polarization and all the breakdown of norms uh, was there. But mm-hmm. it's accelerated, it's deepened, and it's become much more poisonous. I, you know, we're, we're beginning to see threats to the way we live with each other. We're beginning to see threats to the whole idea we hold of democracy, that we may have our disagreements, mm-hmm. but we basically have the same values. It's an in-kind contribution to the Trump campaign. Yeah. It feels like an in-kind contribution in this case. Sorry, I interrupted Maggie. I mean, look, I think that I, I think that I think that on its face that's true. Um, and I think that certainly on its face, it's very hard for people to say, um, uh, to be upset about uh, the demonizing that 
the president is doing, and he is, in the demagoguing and, and demonizing and dehumanizing, particularly of immigrants, but frankly of anybody who gets in his way, um, but also calling for people. This wasn't just, um, I'm going to ask you to leave my restaurant. This was crowd people in public. This is intimidate um, and get in their faces and in their space. And I think that takes it to a very different level, especially when it's a public official mm -hmm. saying that. This is an elected official mm -hmm. making that point. I do think that it gives Trump something else to seize on. I think that what we have seen over the last few weeks, which is clear, and it was already clear, but it's starker now, is this is going to be an unbelievably polarized midterms. Um, I don't know who is actually going to have the advantage based on incidents like this. I frankly think that um, the images of, of kids being taken at the border and the amount of time that's going to take to get resolved is going to play a lot more in terms of Democrats turning out and in terms of whether Republicans turn out or just stay home. Are you comfortable with that, telling members of the administration, supporters of the president in this case, they're not welcome anymore in the restaurant. I love Auntie Maxine, and she's an iconic member of Congress and a great woman. Look, I think we, we, we should not be trapped into these side stories, right, about whether or not people get angry at you at a restaurant, mm -hmm. at a store. I have constituencies. Some of them love me and some of them don't like me that much. That's what the nature of public service is. So to get sidetracked into these debates about whether or not somebody was welcome at a restaurant takes our eyes off of what's going we, on in America. We are today. laser focused on these 2,000 kids and we've been talking about them a great deal. Doesn't mean we don't have time to ask a question about what's but, right and civil. No. I'm just asking you. Are you comfortable with what Maxine Waters just Look, said? I love Maxine Waters. I don't think that uh, the debate should become uh, an episode of The Apprentice. I think we should focus on the issues like what's happening to these kids at the border. Uh, the cuts that are coming after we, we pass this tax scam that's going to hurt mm -hmm. Medicaid and Medicare, those are the real issue of the American people. Maxine Waters is entitled to her opinion, and I respect that. Do you wish she hadn't said it? What was that? Do you wish she had no, said it? No, she has the right to say what she feels, and I support it. Stephanie Wilkinson, owner of the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia, told the Washington Post she asked Sanders to leave because she works for a, quote, inhumane and unethical administration. Sanders criticized Wilkinson on Twitter, saying her actions say far more about her than about me. I always do my best to treat people, including those I disagree with, respectfully, and will continue to do so. It's not the first protest of its kind. Members of a socialist group heckled Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen last week in the middle of a dinner at a Mexican restaurant in Washington. Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters told her supporters to confront other Trump cabinet officials. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. The owner of the Red Hen uh, reportedly said she does not regret asking Sanders to leave. Made me sad when I heard that story over the weekend that Sarah Sanders, regardless of how you feel about her or Donald Trump, she ought to be able to eat where she wants. That made me very sad. And on the other hand, I don't think the conversation that Maxine Waters is putting out, I respect her, know her, but I just don't think that that's going to be helpful either. We yeah. need to Civil encourage force. people. We really do. Escalation Civility. to escalation is not yes. going to end well. Civility really matters, really matters, especially now. My name is Laura Loomer. I'm an investigative journalist. You just recently made some comments in which you encouraged uh, oh, your you? supporters. Who are you, darling? My name is Laura Loomer. I'm a Trump supporter, and I'm also... Where can we we'll eat? Be happy to talk Where can a conservative eat at a restaurant in D.C.? 
Per normal, she doesn't talk to white people. Remember, those have been with the show. I met that bitch in 93 in the riots. She's not changed. She doesn't even live in her district. She makes millions of dollars. She lives in a $7 million mansion. Watts is a no-shitter poor town. She drove up in a limo in 93. Nothing's changed about that woman. But what she did is sedition. What she did is making the Republican Party censure her. And it'll happen in the House. She called for civil disobedience. Oh, wait a minute. What else have we heard? Oh, Obama did that. In your house coat and your slippers, go out and protest. We got Black Lives Matter. Yet people like Paige, he's the greatest president ever. Right now, latest, latest poor, he's the worst president ever. The world's starting to see what he did. And with all of this, what do you think's happening? Homeland Security employees warned of increased risk. The acting Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security warned employees Saturday there may be a heightened threat against them, according to a memo obtained by CBS News. The warning comes amid the increasing fur over the Trump administration zero tolerance and immigration policies. That's them excusing it. This assessment is based on specific incredible threats that have been levied against certain DHS employees and a sharp increase in overall number of general threats against the DHS employees, although the veracity of each threat varies. In addition, over the last few days, thousands of employees have had their personal identifiable information publicly released by Occupy Wall Street and Antifa, the left's goon squad. The memo recommends numerous safety precautions, including not displaying work badges in public, being careful of public conversations, and using cautions on a social network. And somewhere out there, one of the people that are liberal listening to this are going, oh, that's so over the top. They're just trying to politically capitalize. No, they're not. Increasing threats to homeland security include burned animal carcass left on a staffer's porch. Burned animal carcass. Two dozen threat reports were issued in the past few days. One example, a senior DHS official living in Washington found a burnt and decapitated animal on his front porch. The uptick of threats come amid multiple protests directed at ICE and Border Patrol officers. In Portland, Oregon, protesters calling themselves Occupy ICE PDX camped out in front of ICE field office for days. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler said he supported the protesters, tweeting on Wednesday they did not want the Portland Police Department to be engaged or sucked into conflict, particularly from a federal agency that I believe is on the wrong track. He said it was a very peaceful protest. Very peaceful. Yeah. New normal, Trump allies face harassment, protests, any way they're anywhere, they show their face. Getting into this article, what Waters is advocating is already happening. Talk about Justin, talk about Credo Action, a progressive grassroots organization organized a protest out of Nielsen's home. On June 17, a protest royally chased Trump out. Florida Pam Bondi, left-wing New York University created a database. Antifarts circulated that, a list of Nazis. 
Federal Communications Commission Chairman Aji Pat issued a plea for civility in November 2017 after protest activists upset with the SEC rollback of Obama-era net neutrality rule left signs outside his house with his children's name on it. Didn't hear that in the media, did you? Hmm. They will come to know the truth. Dad murdered democracy in cold blood, one sign read. Not too late for him to change his mind about net neutrality. I understand that people are passionate about policy, but the one thing in America that should remain sacred is the family, Pye said. A sign targeting Pye's kid didn't mark the first time that activists showed outside a house. A month after Pye's call for civility, he was forced to cut short a speech Due to a bomb threat. Liberal activists in June 2017 took the protest to the home of two Republican senators, Portman and Boozman of Arkansas. The doorstep protests were meant to influence the senator. Left-wing hostilities Republicans and Trump era has repeatedly extended beyond protests and harassment to threats. James Tay Hoskins shot up a bunch of fucking people. We've already covered that. In May 2017, Tennessee officers arrested a liberal woman after she allegedly ran GOP Republican David Kustoff off the road. Remember that? A popular parade in Portland, Oregon was canceled in April after threats of violence against one of the groups participating, a local Republican organization. The email warning parade organizers promised 200 or more protesters will rush into the parade to drag the Republican marchers out. You've seen how much power we have downtown and that the police cannot stop us from shutting down roads, so please consider your decisions wisely, they said to the Portland mayor. And the Portland mayor said, oh yeah, I'm on your side. Okay. On February 2017, the 71-year-old female staffer from California, Representative Dinah Robichaud, was knocked unconscious during an angry protest that activists staged outside the congressman's office. A North Carolina GOP office was firebombed a month before the 2016 election. Nazi Republicans get out of town or else. Thorny happening. They're a fucking mob. They're fascist. The left is fascist. Not Trump. And where does it come from? This article surmises it. I'm going to read the whole thing. Might be a little boring, but it's true. The real world is starting to resemble Twitter, and that's a problem. Don't fool yourself. You're not the new MLK. You're just an insufferable jerk. The next phase of our ginned-up national moral panic will continue public shunning and harassment and the private lives of people we disagree with. If that's the way society is heading, a divorce, by all means, do you think this is right? In the United States, even the pre- Pretend oppressed can kick the imaginary Nazi out of their establishment. He goes into Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Certainly politicians don't deserve safe spaces for peaceful protest or even confrontation. Of course, spitting on Republicans is not peaceful. You want to make their lives miserable, humiliate them, and show everyone how principled and right-thinking you are, by all means, stop them from having those chimichangas. That'll teach them. But don't fool yourself into self-idealization. You're no budding MLK. No matter what you think of Trump, you're still an insufferable jerk. You're a member of tribalism, blundering mob, imbued with false sense of certitude that allows you to justify incivility. That is to say, you're like a Twitter troll made real. It should be noted that this kind of harassment isn't widespread in the real world, but it's widely rationalized, justified, and celebrated by liberals on social media and the media. 
Many of the left are convinced themselves that the Trump administration elected in a free and legal election and to this point comparing, comporting with the laws of American governance should be all be in front of the Hague. It isn't only about child separation and illegal immigration. It's about tax cuts. It's about Obamacare. It's about a long-standing conservative position. According to many, Republicans are accomplices to murder. The hysterics that bloom with every debate are creating a swell exasperation among Democrats that borders on religiosity. Apparently, this excuses almost any behavior or rhetoric. If you see anybody from the cabinet restaurant, blah, 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 Maxine Water. Now, should it even be said that if any conservative had called for mobs to badger Democrats when they're at the supermarket, the, notion, the nation would be thrust into a national dialogue about the growing and perilous incivility on the right. There would be a flood of anxious op-ed pieces and cable news roundtables featuring chin-stroking hypocrites contemplating the future of discourse in America. No one would be spared. Every Republican politician on earth would be asked to condemn these comments. Why am I speculating? This is exactly what happened during the peaceful Tea Party protest. But one of those rickety rationalizations for the practices of kicking Republicans out of your restaurant, which is reminiscent of those who justify Trump's boorishness as pushing weak whataboutism, some who defend Baker's right to refuse service to gay couples, whine when rep- people refuse service to persons who have faced a deceitful administration, tweeted the perpetually confused Anna Navarro. What's good for the goose is good for the red hen. Difference is being gay is not a choice. Being an accomplice to Trump is. Accomplice to Trump. The problem with this widely used talking point isn't the tit-for-tat vaciousness of the flawed analogy. It's that Jack Phillips never refused service for gay people in the first place. That's simply a smear that the left has endlessly repeated. Phillips, whose shop was open to everyone, refused to design a unique cake that featured a message that he felt undermined his faith. He would refuse to make the same cake for a straight couple or any kind of cake that undermined his faith as a person. The owner of the Red Head, on the other hand, refused, refused service for someone because she disliked their beliefs. She's free to do so. But Sanders didn't demand that the chef of the Red Hand create a specialized Make America Great plate. Now, if you believe Sanders works for an inhumane, unethical administration as a co-owner of the Red Head does, that's fine. It is interesting that her supposed moral outrage seemed to be wholly predicated on policies that existed in our Obama administration. I'm sure Republicans can relate. I'm sure social conservatives saw the Obama administration's support of abortion with virtually no limitation, just as morally repugnant. Many liberals don't even want to allow people to protest the practice. To some extent, Trump invites this sort of reaction. Then again, to some extent, political Trump exists because of the decades of hyperbolic attacks on Republicans. Fact is, Democrats make little distinction between soft-spoken moderates like Paul Ryan or crude, sometimes conservatives like Trump. Democrats have been comparing Republicans to Nazis since the 60s, and we proved it on the show. If you believe this is true, you have to ask yourself, Why wouldn't you kick the imaginary Nazi out of your restaurant? Why wouldn't you spit on the imaginary Nazi? Why wouldn't you punch the imaginary Nazi? Maybe that's where it all leads. And yes, Bondi got spit on. Fucking spit on. Another article. Maxine Waters' harassment policy is about to make the United States a hell of a lot worse. 
Here's a quote from Richard Evans' magisterial work on the rise of Nazi, the coming of the Third Reich, considering the treatment of social democrat Reichstag deputy Otto Butchwitz and Silencia. Brown shirts occupied the seats at this meeting, shouted insults at him, on one occasion fired a shot at him, causing mass panic among his listeners, and leading to a brawl in which shots were fired by both stormtroopers storm and Reichstag men, Several Nazis and social democrats had to be taken hospital, and not a single table or chair in the hall was left intact. After this, gangs of eight to ten Nazi stormtroopers harassed Bushwitz outside his house. When he left to work in the morning, twenty or more crowded around him when he came back to his office after lunch. And between one and two hundred hassled him on the way home, singing a specialized composed song with words, When the revolvers are shot, Bushwitz copped a lot. Nazi demonstrators also halted outside his house, chanting, Death to Bushwitz. Public conversations over politics are dangerous business, and encouraging such confrontations is part of the problem. Here's a basic rule for civilized society. You have the right to refuse service to anyone you choose, and yes, that applies to Red Hand. That person has the right to criticize, criticize you. Yes, that applies to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You have the right to protest any public official in a public setting. You do not have the right to invade someone else's personal property, to harass someone's dining in a public place, or to harass people at their homes, as with Nielsen Waters, approach is far worse than that of the red hand. And every Democrat should be asked whether they agree with her intimidation tactics. Who's the brown shirt now, bitches? But then you read articles like this. Deputy DNC chair poses with poster saying America is a stolen country. And then you read articles like this, Lives at Stake. French butchers warn about vegan violence. And you go, oh, they are the fascists. When they lose elections, they want to physically intimidate the other side and make them change. You know, back in the day, Christians scoffed at people, talked off their nose to people, pushed religion down people's throats, or so they say. Didn't storm their houses. Didn't spit on them. Didn't run them out of every restaurant. This, once again, proves what I've been saying for two years. The Democratic Party is a hot fucking mess. And I'm not a Republican. I'm a normal American. But I tell you, this shit is dangerous. It's becoming to the point that I look at those comments about they want to take away your guns so they can own you, and I go, holy shit, that makes sense to me. They are crushing dissent. They rewrite the words. You can't even have an argument. Whenever you do make a point, you're a racist or something. And there's Antifa, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Socialist Democrats. They're fucking brown shirts. And our media supports that. Instead of saying, what the fuck was that? Chuck Todd goes... Yeah, you know, you can't have that argument because you guys are the same way. 
confusing religious conviction for Twitter outrage. And that's what it really comes down to. From Rachel Evan Woods to Page in Oregon, if they actually researched and didn't listen to Twitter or what their DNC talking point memo says, they'd find out that the DNC is lying to them, that Obama was way worse, and they didn't care. They only care when the president's a Republican. And as we said a million times on the show, if everybody's a Nazi, what's a Nazi? If everybody's racist, what is racism? Seriously, folks. Shame on all of them. Shame on all of them. This is not the country I fought for. These people were protesting me while I was fighting. And look at what Obama did to this country. Alienating whole groups, breaking everybody down in little Saul Alinsky qualificator fucking categories, and pitting them against each other. Aren't you proud now? To a music break, and we just have hate tweets today. No tweet of the day. Enjoy. Stop.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We want to take the next hour and go inside the issues, looking beyond for a moment just the day's breaking news. There's a lot of it. But instead, some of the, assess some of the bigger issues that are coming to define our life in this country. We're going to open tonight with another look at what has been this year's biggest story, immigration. Without much real public debate or even discussion, the elite left has reached a conclusion on the question, and it's that America needs more immigration, much more immigration without limit. And we shouldn't worry about whether the people coming here have skills that we need, whether they're educated, whether they can speak English even, or even whether they're violent criminals. In fact, we shouldn't even try to accurately count how many are coming here or how many live within our borders. Do you disagree with that? Well, then, in the words of one MSNBC commentator, you're pure evil. Watch. Donald Trump, without a doubt, is pure evil. No other country in the Americas has walls. No other country in the world separates children from their parents. Pure evil. The thing about pure evil is you can't reason with it. You can't negotiate with pure evil or reach some kind of compromise with pure evil. Pure evil can only be destroyed by force. Given that, it's not surprising that the left is now mobilizing to harass, fire, and if necessary, physically attack anyone who disagrees with them on immigration because the other side is, again, pure evil. For example, after chasing DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen out of a restaurant earlier this week in downtown Washington, activists now showed up at her home. But zoom out for a moment. Why exactly does America need more immigration? Everybody says it does, but do we really? Does more immigration help ordinary Americans? Does it improve the country? Or does it just enrich an elite class, the policymaking class, at the expense of everyone else? Very few people are asking that question, but one who is, is Michael Anton. He just wrote a piece in the Washington Post asking, why do we need more people in this country anyway? We thought that was a good question. And we wonder why we don't have civility. Well, Tom Arnold vows he's going to stalk and harass Baronet School. Way past sad at all, these kids with Judd Apto, Fox News already hates me. On a plane to New York next is protesting Barron's private school, as well as James and Lachey Murdoch's kids. This is what I can do to end the abuse of these children. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Judd Apto's tweet. We all have always heard about concentration camps and thought about what we would have done if we were alive at the time. Well, we are now. What are you going to do? How are you going to speak up? How will you protest? Tom Arnold, dude, we can protest at the White House, too. Also, Melania takes him to school. We want to have a world word with her. If we see babies tomorrow, we're going to Kushner's kids' school. Don Jr.'s kids are already working at Hooters, so we'll protest there for lunch. Those aren't concentration camps. They're better than Obama's. You didn't care. Christy, what are the chances of Democrats gaining power in 2018, much less 2020, when they give credence to a porn star, preferential treatment and sanctuary to legal aliens over Americans, while suddenly outraged over policies used by the Obama administration? Judd Apto again. Evil fuckers. So many evil racist fuckers registered to vote. We all have the power to change this so fast. If it isn't a tidal wave of registration, this country will have lost its mind. Rock the vote. Now this. Remember the kind of criticism Michelle Obama had to endure as First Lady? No, I don't. 
I don't remember at all. Gianna Batista, thank you for using your platform to further divide. It is very brave when the one percenter lecture us on civility and discourse. Please continue being a blowhard. You're a true hero. Kamal Nanjini, another celebrity. I know there are a bunch of people upset at the Nazi comparison, but the highlighting crimes by immigration move is literally what the Nazis did with Jews instead of immigrants. A surefire way to stop being compared to Nazi is stop acting like a Nazi. A reply, a surefire way to attempt to debase someone with an opposite opposing viewpoint is to tenaciously compare them to Nazis and racists. It's also a ham-fisted and intellectually dishonest tactic. It is inappropriate to recognize that by crossing a border illegally, a crime was committed. Chad Felix Green. I don't see why your irrational hallucinations of events that validate your own biases should be reflected on how the rest of us view objectively objective reality. Also, as a Jew, I'd really appreciate you not appropriating and minimizing the genocide of my people for temporary politics. Greg Stevens. Today's American conservatives are vermin. They are not people. They're infestation. Their continued existence is an existential threat to the ideas of liberty, democracy, in which the United States was founded. Now, just to be clear, does it bother you to hear that kind of language? So you think, oh, see how terrible liberals are, so vicious? Conservatives are used to bullying and degrading groups of people and collapse into crying pieces of shit and piss when it's done to them. But there's the thing. If you're going to call my brothers and sisters, my fellow human beings from around the world, vermin, then you make makes you a vermin. It is your actions, not your birthplace, that makes you deserve to be called such. And we cannot afford to say it out loud, not say it out loud. If you refer to any group of people as an infestation, then you are an infestation and a vile plague on humanity that must be wiped out if freedom and justice are to survive. If you feel it impolite for me to say so, well, fuck your feelings. It's time to stop responding to apocalyptic rhetoric with calls for reasoned debate. We've tried that for decades, and things have only gotten worse. The scum you see on television mocking disabled children, referring to child internment camps as summer camps, do not want discussion. They want you dead. They don't deserve the energy of your speech to calm explanation. They deserve to be ground into the dirt. Is the way I'm talking to aggressive? Is it beyond the pale? Look at it side by side, the way they talk about immigrants, about protesters, about poor people in black communities. There's nothing shocking about those words except that they aren't directed at minorities. Ground into dirt if you want immigration to be controlled. See Jack Run. Today's American progressives shoot up baseball fields full of Republicans in an attempt to mass murder and kill 300,000 babies a year and weaponize the IRS against conservatives and imprison, torture, and immigrant children and try to bankrupt nuns by forcing them to buy contraceptives. And lastly, Jim Carrey painting shows Trump crucifying Jesus. Christianity, Trump style. Maybe that's why liberals don't know anything. From Twitter to the media, all they have is liberals with hyperbolic conversations.
Hypocrisy! I do have to ask you, there's this new headline on the Daily Beast saying that your company's in trouble, that you were trying to find a buyer. Is this related to the point no. about people not talking to each other? That if you want to create that media company, there's not interest? What's, what's going on with that? Wow. Brian, thanks a lot. I think that's the most ridiculous um, question I've ever heard. I'm sitting here ready to talk to you about the detaining of children and parents and trying to break break families apart, something that has been happening with Janet Reno. That's why it went to the Supreme Court in the first place. With Janet mm -hmm. Reno, it's been happening. We want to stop it, and you want to play those games? Have a nice day. What game did I just play? So the question on the Daily Beast website, the headline says, Glenn Beck's media empire is imploding again that's the headline on the daily beast it is well known that glenn has been trying to sell the blaze there was talk about a deal with the daily wire according to the daily beast that fell through you can read the full story on the beast website frankly i thought glenn deserved a chance to address those reports i hope he'll come back and talk about that was brian seltzer he brought glenn beck on to talk about immigration that was the second question Here's a story I tried to ask Glenn Beck about. He stood up and left the live interview. Chelsea Foster, I usually enjoy your show, but you clearly had an agenda and did not intend to discuss the planned topic. I'm not one who usually defends Glenn Beck, but I would have walked out too. Your facial expressions were embarrassing. Acting surprised? L.N. Smithy, I'll wait until I can watch the entire exchange before passing judgment, but I don't trust fake news Brian any more than I trust guys on the street telling me to sell me a watch. Greg Dorting, partisan politics aside, you bring him on to discuss his immigration attack him on a personal business issue. You have credibility. Problem. Brian, you're great, but you alienated this guy from the outset. You're needlessly defensive and combative. This interview was incredibly bizarre, not because of Beck's reaction to you, but your reaction to Beck. It was a valid question, Brian, but the way you immediately dived into it, asking about the status of the blaze without a transition, seemed like a gotcha-type question for Glenn Beck. Both topics are obviously emotionally charged. No worries. You are both still good journalists. Hmm. A.M. Joy Reid, this is all our president. This is horrific. And what he has put upon the American people, what is happening to these children is devastating. We have to keep fighting. I saw a little baby starve for love. Trump has brought this country to his knees. That was that clown show, Representative Wilson. My God, the rodeo clowns at it again. Having this person on your show speaks volumes. Knowingly hosting factual, incorrect, and fraudulent politicians does nothing to help. But you don't want to help, do you? Just divine get ratings. Max Peters, what? Tom Arnold wasn't available for your leftist clown show? <laughs> Catherine Rampell, very disappointed on how unbiased your article was. She did an article about immigration that told the truth. That's one of the replies from the mob. Then there's this. Anti-gun protester David Hogg went to a protest and was surrounded by security. Mm hmm. But the big thing on the networks, because we're ignoring Maxine Waters and spitting on people and kicking people out, uh, they only stop for a second to talk about civility and, and say Donald Trump's fault and all that kind of shit. 
was George Will, who hasn't been a conservative since Obama. He's just like Joe Scarborough. The fear of criticizing a black man for them, because they are conservatives, and they know that if they criticize, well, you're a racist. So they were scared, and then over time, they just brainwashed themselves that Obama was the second coming of Christ. He's been a Democrat for some time. Well, he called out the Republican Party, and the left went gaga for it. Point there. But how about George Will, guys? The Congressional Republican caucuses must be substantially reduced, so substantially that their remnants, reduced to minorities, will be stripped of the Constitutional's Article I powers that they have been too invertebrate to use against the current wielder of Article II powers. They will then have leisure time to wonder why they worked so hard to achieve membership in a legislative legislature whose unexercised muscles have atrophied because of people like them. Mr. Erickson, what do you make of this? <laughs> you know, I, I, I disagree with my friend George Will on this, although I do agree with him that Congress has let their muscles atrophy in legislating. Congress now apparently is a class of pundits as opposed to a class of legislators. It's a real problem on both sides of the aisle where both sides want the issue to campaign on. Uh, I do think there's a danger for Democrats, though, in that typically in the midterms you depend on an incumbent party that doesn't turn out, and the progressive culture war, the immigration issues and whatnot are firing up the Republican base. Casey? Uh, you know, I, I, one, one risk here that I do think, uh, when, I, when I read George Will's column about diminishing these majorities, I, I think for some Republicans they don't realize if they get really close, but they don't actually, if Democrats don't actually win the House, mm -hmm. you're going to be left with the narrowest of Republican majorities, and that's going to hand all of the power to the far right of uh, the conference. So if, if Republicans, if never Trump Republicans want Democrats to win the House, uh, they better uh, get their acts together and work as hard as they can, because otherwise the consequences are going to be worse. How should you embrace your new progressive friend, George Will? <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, I've been asking for Republicans to put country over party, you know, since, since Trump walked down those stairs. So I absolutely believe that this is the beginning of the re change and rebirth of the Republican Party, which is going to be necessary. Yeah, I'm not buying that, but okay. New York Times opinion, strip all the other rationales away from this draconian immigration policy, writes Charles Blow. This is at the core, white extinction anxiety. From the article, white people have had been the majority of people considered United States citizens since the country was founded. But that period is rapidly drawing to a close. Right, America is growing older. There are fewer white women of childbearing age, and the white fertility rate is lower than that of Hispanics and blacks. All manners of current policy grows out of this panic over the loss of privilege and power, immigration policy, voter suppression, Trump econ economic isolationist impulses, his contempt for people from Haiti and Africa, the Muslim ban, this rage over Black Lives Matter, and social justice protests. Everything. These immigration policies for people who conflated America with whiteness and therefore a loss of white primacy becomes a loss of American identity. I knew I'd find it. I fucking knew I'd find everything's racist. My reply to him is, do you even have any white friends to get this from? Because, oh, wait a minute, you're Charles Blow, you're a fucking racist. Then we find out at the New York Times, Matthew Keyes, the New York Times says his reporter, Allie Watkins had not just one relationship, but multiple relationships. She was the one banging the security guy. Yeah. By August, Ms. Watkins told friends that she and Mrs. Mr. Wolf had broken up. 
He'd been spooked by her meeting with Mr. Rambo and was refusing to disclose the relationship to his own employers in the Senate. In the fall, Ms. Watkins started dating a different staff member from the committee. She told others that she had informed a political editor who did not object. But Mr. Dayspring, the political spokesman, said political editors were not made aware of this relationship. On February 15, two days after the Justice Department sent the letter notifying her that it had seized her records, Ms. Watkins sent an email to her colleagues in the Washington Bureau. She had brought in chocolates for sharing from an old source who somehow thought it wouldn't be creepy to bring them for to dinner, stupidly and unintentionally scheduled on Valentine's Day. According to a per- person familiar with the source, the dinner companion was not Mr. Wolf, but a different Washington National Security ve- veteran. Sigh, Miss Watkin wrote at the end of her note about the chocolates. Eat them. And it appears that she was lying to her editors about this all along. Matthew Keyes. Everyone loved Allie Watkins because she was a reporter who could get scoops. She misled her editor in her newsroom about her personal relationship with the source. Some are confusingly still coming to her rescue. And if you wonder why people are generally distrustful in the media, pick and choose ethics might have something to do with it. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's the gray lady. The gray lady. Our Bias 101 is CNN. Jeffrey Tobin, he's a legal guy. And it pretty much sums up where we're at with our media. His basic premise, if you don't like CNN's bias or any of the network's bias, well, go fuck yourself, because we're doing our job. And if Republicans approve of what the president is doing. Well, you know, this is the tribal moment in which we live. Um, I believe that poll is largely taken before this, um, you know, border crisis uh, has fully, uh, you know, been absorbed. So I'm not sure it's still at 90%, but it's got to be very close. And, you know, 90% of, you know, the the 38% who are Republicans, give or take, you know, that's a lot of people, but it's not everyone. And, uh, you know, the, the president has geared his presidency almost entirely to his base, to the Republican base. And that may succeed in the midterms. That may succeed in getting him reelected. I was wrong in 2016. But I think to assume that the president is handling this whole thing masterfully because his base is sticking with him, I think that's a questionable assumption, and we'll see how that plays out. But I think to your point on tribalism and Michael Smirconish, back to my what I wanted to get to with with you know Sarah Sanders getting kicked out of that restaurant and liberals all across the board cheering over the weekend, right? They've like laid flowers at this restaurant in in, in Virginia, and you have David Axelrod's point over the weekend. He, he was appalled by all of the you know folks on the left who who applauded Sanders for getting kicked out of the restaurant. Do, do you share that same sense of being appalled with how the left was behaving. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely I do. And I want to tell you, Brooke, that I travel a fair amount doing speaking to groups around the country. Just came back last night from California. And this may surprise you. The number one comment that I hear from people who engage me is to say, I'm really not a fan of the president. Oftentimes, they'll say, I didn't vote for the president. I don't agree with his behavior. But the way in which he's been treated in the media or by the celebrities pushes me to a point where I'm almost sympathetic with him. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. It was the first thing that I thought of when Sarah Sanders got punted 
And when Peter Fonda sent out that tweet, or De Niro, or the Samantha Bee comment about Ivanka, I'm not defending any of the president's tweets or the way in which he treats people. But I'm just saying that to go to his level has blowback. Let, well, let me say, let me respond to that in part. You know, we don't go to the president's level in, in responding in the news media. We cover the news. And that is entirely appropriate. And, you know, Peter Fonda, who cares? I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Some has-been nope. celebrity, let me finish, some has-been celebrity sends a tweet and we treat it as if it's news. But we cover the Trump administration like journalists. And that's entirely appropriate. And if some people aren't happy about that, well, that's that's too bad. I don't really think we should worry that they are, you know, that they feel sympathy for the president because we're doing our jobs as journalists. There's a perception in the country. There's a perception in the country that it has gone too far. I'm not defending it, Jeffrey. I'm telling you that it's real and it's out there, and I hear it from telephone callers on my radio program on a day-to-day -day business. They don't defend what he does but they don't like the way in which it's been interpreted and covered. It's just an observation. To other bias, Gabriel Maller. Reporters should be asked, all Democrat officeholders, if they agree with Representative Waters' call for justice. I can't find a soundbite. There's none out there. People responded to him, will you settle for a Republican pound story? And that's what they'll probably get. Because they don't care. I could play a CNN positive. Not gonna. I could play SE Cup going off. Doesn't count. Cup's conservative. There is no this is wrong. Chuck Todd will not get on TV and say, oh my God, this is horrible. They agree with it. To the stats of the day, gun industry sees banks as new threat to Second Amendment. Long story, if you'd like to look it up, all you have to do is search gun industry sees banks as new threat to Second Amendment. Find the story. It's not just major banks. It's small banks. Operation Choke Point is working. Not only for money to make the guns, but also those credit card processing. Walgreens pharmacist refused to bottle abortion drug. I get it. We all have our beliefs. This is what the article said. Abortion activists are now harassing a pro-life Walgreens pharmacist for refusing to bottle an abortion drug. According to Life News, Nicole Artanga of Peoria, Arizona, discovered that she has two months pregnant doctor informed her that she would have a miscarriage. Unfortunately, on Tuesday, we found out the baby developed had stopped and I only will have to miscarriage. Doctor gave me two options, DNC or prescription medical medication. I opted for the prescription. Ortega received a prescription for the drugs that would induce the miscarriage when she took a prescription to Walgreens counter. Pharmacist Ben Herenick refused to fill the bottle for the reasons of conscience. I get it, we all have our beliefs, but when he failed to understand is this isn't a situation I had hoped for, this isn't what I, something I wanted. He has no idea what it's like to, to want nothing more than to carry a child full term and unable to do so. If you have gone through a miscarriage, you know the pain and emotion roller coaster can be. I left Walgreens in tears, ashamed and feeling humiliated by a man who knows nothing of my struggle but feels as if his right to deny medication description to me by my doctor. In an updated post, Ortega stated that the heretics sent her prescription to another Walgreens pharmacy that obliged her. Walgreens has also issued a policy. An apology, excuse me. This is the time that conservatives and pro-life people just hurt their cause. But, in this case... 
He made news because he's a man, and he refused it, but he didn't. He sent it to a different Walgreens. There's, it's the same thing. Bakers, are, well, here's a place you can go. And in the world I live in, okay, and I go. But to liberals, oh, no, 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 no. I demand you conform to my thought process. And they're wrong. And our last step before we get into our subjects, which are non-political today. Childish Gambino collaborator denies this is America plagiarized. Danny Glover's awesome liberal resistance. Oh my God, this is America. Yeah. He stole it from a New York rapper. The music. So, uh, we'll see where that goes. Jace Harley's a New York rapper. And he's suing him for stealing the music. Reminds me of Jay-Z. Fucking that Indian pan flute player. Hmm. So today we're going to do reviews of three shows. Uh, Yellowstone. We're going to review The Looming Tower and The Hot Housewives of Orlando. Yeah, somebody got Hulu. So here's a soundbite for Yellowstone. And then we'll discuss. Nothing we do is for today. Ranching is the only business where the goal is to break even. Survive another season. Some of us try real hard to be good. So as discussed in the last podcast, I got Hulu uh, so I could watch uh, the, their select or exclusive media shows, um, specifically The Handmaid Tale, which which we reviewed. But um, with that, I started watching a bunch of uh, other ones. The next podcast, we're going to cover The Path. I'm one and a half through that, and that's a pretty good show. I'm kind of blown away, but Yellowstone was one I was really looking forward to. Um, I watched the David Koresh one, uh, Waco, and, you know, Paramount used to be Spike, I think, and they changed to Paramount, and they started their own stuff. And I, the first one off the bat I loved, and it's the first time a, um actor has ever liked to tweet, because I tweeted about... um they used Ashokan's Farewell. It's the theme from the Civil War. We played it on the show during a funeral where one of the brothers dies. Um, 
And the, the panoramics, if you've seen Wind River on Netflix, this is the same director. So the panoramics shot there are just astounding. And this is in Montana. Um, but it's just gorgeous. So Yellowstone premiere draws all-time high viewership for Paramount, boosted by the star power Kevin Costner. The two-hour series premiere of Yellowstone on Paramount Network averaged 2.8 million viewers in a live same day to become the most watched original scripted series on Paramount. Additionally, Yellowstone was the second most watched ad-supported ad cable scripted drama series since People vs. OJ, only behind AMC's the Terror, and The Walking Dead. Yellowstone premiere audience climbed to nearly 4 million when two encores are factored in and expected to climb further. The Live Plus 3, which is like, you know, I watched it um, post. You know, I taped it and then watched the next day. As can be expected, given the subject matter, Yellowstone was older skewing. From Oscar-nominated writer, executive producer Tyler Sheridan, Yellowstone follows the Dutton family, led by John Dutton, Costner, who controls the largest contingent ranch in the United States, which is under constant attack by those at borders, land developers, and Indian Reservation in America's first national national park. Um, it, really good. thought it was a very interesting concept. The, as I said, the, the cine, cinematography is fantastic. I don't know enough about it. I just wanted to blurb it out because watch it. You won't be disappointed. Coster is pretty good. A lot of storylines going on. And, you know, in the first scene, people die. You know, in the first episode, uh, one of the main characters dies. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty damn good show. The second one I watched was The Looming Tower about 9-11. Here is a trailer. This isn't a war about one man. His people actually believe. I have to say that I agree with John on this one. You are making a mistake, sir. There's simply too much risk. Someday this administration will be remembered for the risks it didn't take. The tide is high, it's sink or swim My only rival is within Bin Laden has made these threats before, but this time he put a time cap on it, saying that whatever violence awaits will occur within the next few weeks. What I need you for is to figure out what happens next, so we can stop it. How many Arabic speakers do we have in the Bureau? Eight Arabic speakers out of more than 10,000 agents. That's how seriously our government takes this threat. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms end. My only rival is within. You got a stash of intel that you refuse to share with my agents. You don't know how many people might be endangered by being privy to information that you are not cleared for. Might I make a suggestion? Use the chain of command. It exists for a reason. Them who are here in the room, to those who are watching on television, your government failed you. I really wish people would stop telling me to calm down. There are bombs going off around the world. That doesn't make me feel calm. From an article, The Gripping History of the Looming Tower, the new Hulu series, the suspenseful star-studded 
excavation of the failure to prevent 9-11. In 2017, the third most read page on wikipedia.org was an article on Queen Elizabeth. Out of the top 50, Queen Victoria came in number 13, Princess Margaret number 37, and Prince Philip number 44. The sudden surge of interest in British royal family was just anglophilia. It was also related to the popularity of Peter Morgan's Netflix show, The Crown, and the PBS drama, Victoria. Both shows adaptation of historic events and modern entertainment have prompted millions of viewers to find out whether they'd seen on TV it actually happened. Wikimedia dubbed itself the second screen, pointing to a glut of recent series on TV films that recreated real-life moments with just enough latitude to spur the frantic impulse of Google, the details, Paramount, Waco, American Crime Story, Confirmation. The latest is The Looming Tower, the gripping new 10-part Hulu series adapted from Lawrence Wright's Pulitzer Prize winning 2006 book about the original origins of 9-11, like The Crown, The Looming Tower, which I read, which is a great book, takes some dramatic liberties with his source material, turning some characters into composites and creating others anew. But most of what it portrays is true, and all of it seems intended to spur a new engagement with its material seen through the clearer lens of historical distance. Produced for television by Wright with the Oscar-winning documentarian Alex Gibney and the veteran showrunner Dan Futterman, Looming Tower is a taunt, tense restaging of the interscene squabbles between the FBI and the CIA in the lead-up to 9-11. Like Wright's book, it makes a case of the failure of the U.S. intelligence agencies to share information thwarted any chance they might have at stopping the attacks. But where the book focused primarily on the people who conspired to orchestrate the worst terrorist attack on the American soil, the series reorientates itself around the people who failed to stop them. On one side is John O'Neill, who's played by Jeff Daniels, who I usually don't like, a larger-than-life FBI counterterrorism chief grappling with the increased threat of Al-Qaeda. On the other is Martin Schmidt, Peter Sargengird, O'Neill's CIA counterpart. O'Neill was a real person. Schmidt is reportedly an amalgam, although there are reasons beyond its, his initials to denounce whom he's based on. From the very first episode, O'Neill and Schmidt are at each other's throats to reasons that are hard to ascertain. Schmidt guards CIA intelligence with fanaticism, while O'Neill resorts to spewing profanities and epitaphs when he can't get what he wants. The show makes clear whose side it's on. O'Neill might be a womanizing bore, but his devotion to his job and to thwarting attacks on the U.S. is unmistakable. Schmidt, by contrast, is a pompous, sneering creep whose primary motivation seems to be power. If both characters seem somewhat implausible, it appears that they've been trampled down for television, if anything. In the, three epi- the fir- in, the, in the three episodes made available for review, I've watched all of them, Al-Qaeda emerges as an increasing critical threat to America, perpetrating the 98 bombings of U.S. embassies in Dar es Salaam and Nairobi, and gaining increased financial and ideological support. But while Schmidt wants to pr- the president to respond by carpet-bombing Afghanistan, O'Neill argues that this will only draw more followers to the cause, and the hostilities between the two agencies mean, mean information is hoarded rather than shared hampering the pursuit of Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. The show's strongest scene tend to involve good old-fashioned spycraft rather than the inter-agent feuding. Bill Camp is exceptional as Robert Chesney, an FBI agent in Nairobi, to seek out information as seen as second episode where he interrogates a subject is a masterful and pacing, amping up the suspense for more than eight minutes. Tahar Rahim, played the real-life FBI agent Ali Safan, is similarly engaging, traveling to locales from Albania to London to hunt down Al-Qaeda. One of the only eight agents out of the 10,000 FBI who spoke Arabic, Arabic Safan is devoted to O'Neill and outraged by the radicals he sees preventing the 
principle of Islam. By the time you end up at the end of the story, um, I, I really, truly, truly believe it's it shows how Clinton didn't give a fuck, and it shows how Democrats try to make it all Bush's fault. They don't show Condoleezza Wright in a good eye. They show Tenet in a good eye and O'Neill in a good eye. And one of the things that I researched, which I did not know it was true, but when they finally caught on that there were Arabs in the country learning how to fly, because one of them got kicked out and they flagged the FBI, this flight school did the right thing and said, this guy just wants to, he doesn't want to learn to land. It just seems odd to us. When the FBI requested these, you know, any of these names from the schools, and there was like, I want to say there was like 300 or something names that were training in the U.S. 98 of them were Al-Qaeda. The new department head of Alex Station, who was Schmidt's, you know, disciple that were just, she was in love with him, um, but she idolized him. She was a liberal, kind of like Obama. Um, Obamaites. She takes this stuff and mismatches it in a bunch of different folders so it's impossible for them to find it. That was true. That was an actual question. And she lied. Uh, the person that actually did it lied and said that she hand-walked it over, and she didn't. She had somebody drop it off the FBI, not with the actual go get them guys, but with Intel, and it was just buried, and they never got the names. Um, I would say today... Not much is different between these two agencies. If I were to take a guess, Homeland Security probably heads in. they got to report certain things there. But anybody who's been in the military, there's a time you get too many dat, too much data. When I, when I was a young E6, we went and tested these stupid laptops for the field. Um, you know, SF and all of them take out, a, they could do data dumps and all that shit. Well, they wanted to see, if we didn't use radios, could we just do this? So we did this test where we went out and if you had a spot report or contact with the enemy, you didn't call on a radio, you sent an email. And it would hit the S, you know, the, the talk and just pile up. Nobody could get to all this data. It was just too much. Well, that's the problem with the war on terror. If you think about it, FBI is doing their thing and, and they're doing their thing. I remember being in Afghanistan and seeing guys going, who the fuck is that? I'd be going up for op orders or whatever in the head shed at the Kandahar airport and there'd be these dudes walking around in fucking 511s and I'd be like, who the fuck is that? Um, odds on I ran into a bunch of FBI guys. They never said who they were. We sat in bullshit and chow, but they'd never tell me their agency. And I did meet the CIA guy and the guy that I was friends with in SF base, not friends, but we talked. He was a good guy. Let me call my daughter on her birthday. That was really sweet. Um, but they're squirrely. So I am sure in the current fight for ISIS, there's plenty of intel coming down that there's no fucking way you can action it. The old adage is we got to be right all the time. They only have to be right once. So um, I would say if you're, if, if you want to learn more about 9-11, this movie's a must. I think they take the book and they make it even better. Um, so it's it's a great show. Watch it. I power watched uh, eight episodes one day this weekend. 
and I was just enthralled. It was a really good show. And our last review is Silliness. Uh, found this by accident. My God in heaven, you got to watch this if your wife watches any of the Housewives stuff. She wants Real Housewives of Des Moines, Iowa. Make her watch this because at the end of these two seasons, only five episodes, well, six episodes because they mock the reunions they do too. So there's six episodes per season. There's a Orlando and there's a Las Vegas. Um, she said she had to stop watching. She's glad there's no more seasons because she'd stop watching the show because it was too spot on. They say Vegas is a town where people get their dreams and also drug-resistant strains of herpes. That a girl. I'm drinking for two now. <laughs> I developed a food line called Anorexia. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to take that word back. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who can throw a good party and those who will probably die alone. You don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know how you're going to die. I just know that you will not have another person near you when it happens. I was hoping you were the first lady, but... I get that a lot. I wish you were somebody else. Ah! <laughs> but I'm not. I'm me. Damn! The new baby is way better at being nice than any of these broken-ass bitches. I hear you. I know you hear me. Uh-huh. Oh, you're listening. Oh, yeah. Blood is thicker than water, so is soup and juice. No one ever thinks about the bearer of the bad news. I'm a wreck. I know I can tell your place is a mess. I hope that we can all get along this year. I hate your house. Look at me. I am living my dreams. You look so happy. Oh! This is so classy, right? This is Orlando. You go big or you go back to kissing me. Meet the hot wives of Orlando. Family is everything to me. And by family, I mean shoes. You brought a car for a five-year-old? I'm supposed to keep driving her? I'm sick of it. Get the hell out of here. I'm so good at being fancy. I don't want to be friends with any of you. My accent is pure Orlando. So gorgeous. You feeling good? That's what the boys say, that I feel good when they're inside me. The Lord is my savior. I really hope you don't go to hell. Because you're so pretty, oh, Charlotte. It's not my fault that your face can't handle a little poison. I've been clean and sober now for seven days. Your sister is the broken ass bitch. They're all the best of friends. So I called you here today to tell you they are no longer friends. Except when they're not. You just own all the drama. Somebody I do. Pay attention to me. Jesus, just get on with it. Which is a lot of the time. I can't remember if me and John are friends right now. Oh my god, I love this. How much is this skirt? I need to calm down. What did you say to me? I think you heard me. You need to calm down. Do not tell me to calm down. Why don't you 
calm. You know what you both need to calm down. You need to calm down. Excuse me. To calm down. The House Hot Wives of Las Vegas cast takes on a real Housewives persona with ease. And I'm not going to read the article. You heard the soundbite. This shit is fucking hilarious. I'm only going to talk about one of the characters. She's called Fei-Fei. And anybody has a wife that watches The Real Housewives of Atlanta, sweet Jesus, it's Phaedra and Nene. And I laughed so hard. We power watched these Sunday, all 10 episodes. It's only about a half an hour long. Um, or 12 episodes. It was too fucking funny. It, it was so good. So... Um, if you have Hulu, if you don't have Hulu, sign up, try it, watch these shows. Like I said, I'll talk about the path next one, which is about a cult. Um, but the first thing you should stop in for, even over 9-11 shows, you know, the Looming Tower, watch the Hot Housewives of Las Vegas and Orlando, because the news is pretty miserable. Our country's really fucked up right now, but for Christ's sake. You'll laugh your ass off. I forgot about it all. So to a music break, our first one was the Pixies, because I missed that song. I'm thinking about making it a, a back to our lead-in bumper um, instead of news and social media nuggets. And this one is going to be Codex, I'm sorry, Codex by Radiohead. And we're going to go into news, social media nuggets. Uh-
Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ballgame on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Military corner, the army hero fought off 600 Nazis virtually alone. Now he's getting the Medal of Honor. Standing 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighing about 120 pounds, soaking wet, Lieutenant Garland Merle Connor may not have been the most physically imposing GI during World War II, but on January 24, 1945, he was an unmovable rock against against which a wave of German troops crashed and ultimately rolled over. Now Connor, died in 98, is posthumously receiving the Medal of Honor for his bravery in the battle, during which he called for artillery and to shell his own position. President Trump will present the Medal of Honor to Connor's widow on Tuesday at the White House. With the U.S. military's highest award for gallantry, Connor will become the second most decorated service member of World War II, according to Army. He surpassed only by legendary First Lieutenant Adi Murphy. And the story of what he he did is unfucking believable. A bad man. Don't have a lot of them in the civilian populace nowadays, because not a lot. That was the part about nine eleven. I thought about. Not a lot of people signed up. You know, there wasn't the rush to get payback. We are a shell of the greatest generation. The army is spending half a billion to train soldiers to wage war underground. They're going to spend $572 million on tunnels. And in the 90s, Fort Ord had the, you know, to this day it's still open. They're one of the best 
I don't know if it's still open. I guess I'm talking to my ass. I knew it was still open in the 2000s, early 2000s. Um, one of the best mount sites there is, and they had tunnels and everything. We used to have to go through the tunnels and the sewers and all this stuff to infiltrate during what was called a mount school. All leaders had to go to it. Um, but they're going to spend a lot of money to do it because in the urban environment, a lot of cities have undergrounds. We're going to clear them out. So I think this is money well spent. Uh, it'll be down at Fort Benning, Georgia, the Maneuver Center of Excellence that will build a new mount site with underground tunnels. Um, so the FBI used the one at Ord, so I'm sure the FBI will be using this one too. Which brings us to our college crazy. Kind of mil- uh, cherry pick these ones uh, in regards to what we're living through right now. Professor offer milk toast defense of safe spaces during debate. A law professor and university president teamed up over the weekend to defend safe spaces in a debate hosted by Intelligence Squared, but acknowledge that the radical activists sometimes go too far. Their opponent challenged them for using an overbroad definition of safe spaces, noting that many opponents of the concept demand that administrators guard against certain ideas and viewpoints. By sealing off large parts of the campus to guard against certain ideas and viewpoints, we're going to make the problem worse, is what the person said. I think part of what's going on in the safe space debate has become conflated with the debate over controversial speakers on campus, usually conservative speakers, triggering protests by what's said to the debate. Those are separate questions. I do not think sometimes people have said that the entire campus should be a safe space, and therefore it's the same issue. That goes too far, and they're driven by completely different concerns. I think we really need to separate those two questions because the controversial speaker stuff is complicated, we added. Colleges and universities today, it's very much the case that there is a strong bias, sometimes on the faculty, often on the faculty, often on the students towards the left. This is not new. This is perhaps something to do with the age of the students, with something to do with the politics of our country right now. We'll justify it. I've started a program at Wesleyan University to bring more conservative thinkers to campus, more conservative professors, army generals or colonels who are retiring from the armed forces to teach courses in international relations, political science, because I think our conservative students need to feel they too can express their views. Our society is deeply polarized, said Pan America CEO Susan Nossel. By sealing off large parts of the campus to guard against certain ideas and viewpoints, we're going to make the problem worse. Spaces, space, safe, safe spaces were vitally important for gay rights. Okay, I bring it up. Mm-hmm. Gay. They're vitally important for feminism. I think they're coming up today on college campuses because college campuses have more students from underrepresented groups who are trying to define their own place on the campus. They're not trying to censor other people. They're trying to find a way they can belong historically white, middle, class. And so there it is. It's all about racism. Okay. Students may need counseling. After required diversity training, Minnesota State University will have counselors standing by to comfort student leaders who have an emotional response after being required to attend a new diversity program. MSU announced Wednesday that it's rolling out two new diversity trainings this fall, saying it's expected that faculty supervisors will make this training required for students. Hmm. Then there's this one. School may scrap liberal description to avoid confusion. Liberal arts. That's probably because conservatives aren't going to a lot of these schools because they're fucking not welcome. Then you have this one. 
Students, staff, take turns erasing pro-life chalking at WWU. The Student for Life chapter of Western Washington University saw its pro-life chalk messages erased twice in the span of only a few hours over this month, first by student vandals and then by university employees. When confronted by an SFL member, one of the student vandals said the pro-life messages were actively hurtful. A similar explanation to one offered by a school employee who said the messages were provocative, I guess. A late, an administrator later told SFL that a big miscommunication was to blame for the workers erasing the messages. The morning after SFL repaired the vandalism, saying the school only removes writing it's considered to be hate speech. speech. Um, according to the Students for Life, the vandals were caught on camera erasing the chalks around 7 and 10.30 p.m. They just said that there's a lot of chalk graffiti on the ground and go take care of it. Just the really shitty ones, the female student replied, elaborating when pressed that mostly we're going for the ones that are, like, actively hurtful. This message here was from Silent No More, which tries to help people who have had abortions and are, like, hurting from them. When the chalk messages were erased a second time the next day, pro-life students also confirmed the maintenance crew responsible, only to be given a similar answer by the vandals, like, oh, that's just provocative. According to the statement from Expression Assembly at WWU, is committed to promoting academic freedom as well as freedom of speech petitions at Assembly. The values and behavior of the campus community with respect to expression are informed not only by law, but by a shared responsibility and commitment to treating each other with respect, civility, and empathy, unless we don't agree with your shit. In response to controversy, Christian Hawkins, the president of Students for Life America, America argued that the pro-life students group at WWU should have the same speech rights as other students. In fact, the pro-life message about supporting women <clears throat> were post-abortive or promoting adoption is considered too controversial by pro-choice students on campus is disheartening and indicative of bias against pro-life in higher education. And there is, because I skipped the one, California is like a frog hair from having abortions on campus. Providing abortions for students. And I'm not talking the pill. Abortion. Statewide. Another one. Professor, I choose not to have children because, wait for it, they'd be white. Yeah. A white Ivy League professor has taken to the pages of HuffPo to condemn her own race, declaring that she chose never to reproduce because her children would simply inherit white privilege. Allie Michael, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Penn Graduate School of Education, was prompted to write by the Rachel Dozell saga, in which the head of the Spokane blah, 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 what do you know about that? Michael said that like Dozelle, she has gone through an extensive phase of trying to eradicate her whiteness, or as she calls it, whiteness, one so severe that she decided she didn't want to reproduce. I sometimes don't want to be white either, Michael says. There was a time in my 20s when everything I learned about the history of racism made me hate myself, my whiteness, my ancestors, and my descendants. I remember deciding that I couldn't have biological children because I didn't want to propagate my privilege. Michael describes her effort as virtually all-consuming. She lived with a black family for a time, shaving her head, and read exclusively black authors. She also lashed out at those who dared to be white without shame. I dislike my whiteness, but I dislike the whiteness of other white people more. I feel like the way to really end racism was to feel guilty for it and to make other white people feel guilty for it, too. 
Michael has apparently mellowed out a little bit over the time and says she now accepts the necessity of whites accepting their racial identity rather than taking a new one, but mostly because this is the best way for whites to feel adequately guilty. At the end of the day, we need white people to see that we are white. When we recognize and own our whiteness, we can account for our own portion, our one billionth of responsibility that white people have done throughout history. We can work with other white people to begin the challenge, bias, ignorance, and colorblindness. We can use our privilege to confront the source of unfavoring favor. Today, Michael works at Penn, contributing to have a very racial focus. Her core research interests include how white families racially socialize their children, and her website contains handy links to materials such as 10 Quick Ways to Analyze Children Books for Racism and Sexism. But it's a theme. It's a theme. This is what progressivism, the religion of. Hate thyself. So much for, no problem, Oscars Academy class of 2018 on track to be as big and diverse as the last two years. So now we're just nominating black people because we were told we're racist. Hmm. Doesn't matter they acted good. Just nominate them. Netflix fires PR chief after using the N-word in a meeting. As it should be. But doesn't that make you think once again? Every time we turn around, the big liberal establishment, and anybody who says Netflix is a liberal establishment, just look who's on the board and look who's going to be one of the main producers right now. Barack Hussein Obama. They're always the one fucking shit up. Wow. Gay pride parades used to mean protest. Now they're excuse for straight kids to party. Oh my God in heaven, here we go. Paul Ellis has seen a lot of gay pride parades. He marched to Pittsburgh, first one in 73, with just 40 people, flanked by angry residents holding glass bottles and rocks. Ellis manager at Cliff's Variety Store in historic Castro District is part of a generation of LGBTQ EIAO Cosana 4 activists who fought for basic rights to get jobs to avoid arrest. That's all lies. Nobody was refused jobs. Whatever. I stopped and said to my partner, do you see any gay people around us? And it was like, oh my God, no. They had run into a cultural shift, breaking, breathtaking in its speed, and still coming sometime, something of a disconnect to many in the gay community. In many large cities, gay pride marches have become the new St. Patrick's Day, only with rainbow tutus instead of shamrocks. The parades in honor of Ireland patron saint, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we have to explain that? Are you people that stupid? Okay. When it comes to LGBTQ pride marches, the same shift has happened in less than 50 years. The streets along the parade route are thronged with groups of people in their teens and 20s dancing and partying while supporting rainbow-colored wigs, sunglasses, and feather boas, along with the ever-present tutus. Ellis said he doesn't have a problem with non-LGBTQ people going to the Pride Parade, but they should be focused on supporting the gay community. This is not their party. They're attending someone else's party. I just feel disrespect. So your religion of progressivism has forced people to support something that they don't really agree with. I mean, they're not gay. But they come out and be your ally, like you guys say, with intersectionality. And now you don't want them to. Hmm. That's kind of weird, dude. Media freakout. Atlantic writer talks to trans people. With regrets. Oh my God, this happened in Atlantic. What 
when children say their trans article in July, August issue was recently met with complete expected outrage across media platforms. That's because the article featured several transgender people who went back to their biological gender. Writing on this perspective proves to be death sentence by other media, particularly from this story writer, Jesse Singal. In response, Jezebel asks, what's, what's Jesse Seagal's fucking deal? Contributor Heron Walker argued that Seagal uses trans article as a smokescreen for his anti-trans sentiment and even asked why is the Atlantic decided to publish as its cover story a cis writer's article about trans people who aren't trans. She accused the outlet of playing host to Seagal's bullshit. Think Progress called the story a loud dog whistle for anti-transgender parents. Alex Darby from the Daily Dot stated the article plays into a largely unfounded fears about trans children. Oh, they're unfounded. Are you sure? When children say they're trans instead of when children are trans, cast doubt on children, child's or teen's ability to identify their gender. Slate Alex Barash says Singal has a history of bias reporting on trans lives, but only talking to detransitioners. Oh my God, it's a cult. They got a name for it. Detransitioners. I can't even say it because they just made that fucking shit up. Singal refused to engage meaningful with the far larger mass of trans people that correctly recognize their own readiness to transition, telling a difficult but essential truth, he added. But the media landscape and the media one do not reflect this. In reaction to the outrage, Atlantic posted the first in a series of responses with the headline, I detransitioned, but not because I wasn't trans. Well, if you detransitioned, you're not trans now, are you? Huh. Sorry, I had to get a drink. I was cotton-mouthed. Prager, the bad hate the good. The Southern Poverty Law Center versus Prager University. Antifa is to violence that the SPLC is to words. In short, it's a hate group on the left. The SPLC smears individuals and groups that it differs with by labeling them as far some form of hater, racist, white supremacist, extremists, and the like. That is cited and even relied upon by the New York Times, Facebook, Amazon, Google, CNN, and others. And Apple gave them organizers a million dollars in testimony to moral state of mainstream media. Were the SPLC not quoted and used as a source, there would be no reason to pay it any attention. All the SPLC does is politicize and thereby trivialize the fight against racism and other evils. Any organization that labels Ari Harisi Ali, the extraordinary Somali-American woman who devoted her life to fighting for oppressed women, especially in the Islamic world, an extremist, as the SPLC does, is not a moral organization. No wonder to just agree to pay Muslim reformer Majid Nawaz $3.4 million for calling her an extremist. This kind of behavior should surprise no one since Stalin labeled Trotsky, the ideological leader of the Soviet communism, a fascist. The left, not liberals, to whom the left is as opposed as it is conservatives, has libeled his opponents. Without lying about its opponents, there would be no left. Now the SPLC has placed an article about PragerU on its hate watch blog. Never actually accuses us of hate because even it can't substantiate such a charge. In over 300 videos, could not find a single sentence countenance hate or bigotry. So simply describe two articles by outsiders about PragerU, knowing the dirty work will be accomplished via implication. 
The article is about two PragerU critics, Kevin M. Krauss, a Princeton University professor who sought to rebuke a Prager video in a Twitter thread, and a self-described sociologist named Francesca Trapati, who wrote an article exclaiming, PragerU's reach. Cruz tweeted a series of disagreements with the PragerU video. Now Professor Cruz might be right, and so and Professor Swain might be wrong. But that has nothing to do with hate, nor does Cruz imply that it does. So the SPLC's citation of Cruz is just deceitful. And then he breaks down a bunch of other times where they just didn't like what they were talking about because it wasn't progressive dogma. So now they're a hate group. Why do I cover it? That's our media. As I've said a million times, I'm a hate group. If SPLC ever fell across this podcast, I'd be a hate group. Even though I'm not saying anything bad about gays or blacks or anything, I'm not a Nazi, I'm not a white supremacist, I would be termed such. Because I don't speak progressive dogma. It's a fucking religion. If you don't believe me, you're smoking peyote. Wendy's workers were smoking a peyote. Well, not peyote, but meth. And they sold meth from an eatery in Georgia. It was a Wendy's. And they literally came in and fired half the staff. They were selling it out the window. Yeah, I want the um, Baconator and some meth. Oh, that's fucking fantastic. Then there's this one that just freaked me the fuck out. Dead bodies found at Walmart stores, a nationwide phenomenon. And they go through about a half dozen parking lot dumps all over the country. They talk about in California, a woman missing for months turned up dead. They found her in the parking lot. In Illinois, a body of a 49-year-old man was reported missing more than a month, was found dead in a van at a Walmart. In Ohio, police said a 59-year-old man found April 2018th in a pickup in a Walmart. Florida, Walmart employee walking the parking aisles. February 22nd. February 22nd at a Tarpon Spring store reported a strong odor. Officers arrived and found an unidentified body. Police suspected suicide. They found overdosed people. They found weary travelers that have died. They found... <clears throat> it's like the place to go and die, I guess. That's fucking scary. This one was funny, not for the people... Montana Highway Patrol Trooper says two people were injured after the driver swerved their vehicle to avoid hitting, my wife said a bear, then she said a moose, no, a kangaroo. Article doesn't say where the fuck the kangaroo came from, but that's some freaky ass shit. This floating robotic factory will build satellites and spaceships in orbit, and this is some Star Trek shit. Uh... They're working to build. Space founders say 3D printing will be key to colonizing space. They're going to build a space station by 2020 or 2040, excuse me. And they're going to start building spaceships and satellites and everything in space. They just bring up the parts, which are easier than bringing up the completed craft. And someday, maybe we'll go to Mars to build that big spaceship. That would be fucking cool. Lastly, before we go into our lighter fare, I read this article before I went. And yeah, I'm doing a lot of reviews today, but it's better than me whining about fucking the left. 
For the love of God, will someone put Jurassic World out of its misery? It was a review, said it was a horrible fucking movie. Me and the wife went. That motherfucker was badass. We went to a Regal Premium Experience where it's like 100 speakers and your ass vibrates. And this movie, my wife loved it and she doesn't like dinosaur movies. It was awesome. And I guess all the reviewers that said it sucked dog dick were full of shit because it grossed $715 million worldwide. Box office over the weekend, $180 million in the United States. The rest was in China. China just went fucking crazy over there. Had something like 200 million views on the first weekend. Um, so if you want to go see a summer blockbuster that actually lives up to the blockbuster, yeah. Go see Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. I thought it was great, but I like Chris Pratt. So, to our lighter fare, and I'm just going to play one of the sound bites as we go out. Because I thought this shit was hilarious. That was Jim Acosta caught by some viewer. He was sitting there in the pool area, and all these people are talking shit to him. One of them was a a disabled guy at a Trump event, plus a lot of African Americans that I'm guaranteeing, because I couldn't find the sound pipe, he did not talk about when he went back on air. But when he did go back on air, uh, the most amazing thing was the entire time he spoke on air, Somebody held up huge sign, CNN sucks. <laughs> so, I, I, if there were any intellectual honesty, there'd be an interview with the disabled guy and the African Americans by Jim Acosta to go, why the fuck would you be here? But they don't remark on it, and they just ignore it. But our main lighter fare for today is Tracy Ullman. For those that are young, Tracy Ullman started out on The Simpsons back in the day. And then she got her own show. She was super funny. She's a liberal, um, but she made this you're so woke, you're asleep meme uh, video. And I got it. My wife sent it to me, and I just laughed my ass off. So uh, enjoy. Okay, everyone, welcome. This group is for people who are so woke that they are finding it impossible to have any fun at all. We have somebody new with us this week so would you like to introduce yourself uh hi i'm oscar uh i think like a lot of you guys for me it started with the little things signing an online petition going to a march well i mean before i knew i was writing to the guardian about lgbt representation in the harry potter books which is shocking by the way all right lily we've all read your blog don't worry oscar you've come to the right place all of the young people in this room are ruining lives by being overly virtuous that's actually a microaggression to say young people is subconscious bias towards the elderly actually what you're doing is denying agency to the elderly which is arguably much worse this this is what i'm talking about you see it's a slippery slope one minute you're carrying a reusable water bottle 
fine, and the next minute you're arguing that water racist. Oh my God, is water racist? No, no, it's just an example. Right, how did you guys get on with the homework that I set you? Guys isn't an especially inclusive term. Not now, Jamie. By homework, do you mean having to watch that old people sitcom? It's called Friends, Lily, and you were supposed to watch it and enjoy it. Well, I try, but I find it deeply problematic. Why? Well, there's the homophobia, the transphobia, the fat is up shaming, and could Chandler be any more annoying? You can't go through your 20s worrying about every aspect of everything. You have to pick your battles. And just remember that it doesn't really matter, because by the time you hit your 30s, most of you are going to be massively right-wing anyway. Have any of you started to think that maybe poor people don't deserve benefits? N no. Well, watch out for that one, because that's how it starts. Look, I understand this has all been a bit much for some of you, so let's take five and have a hobnob. I find the word hobnob very phallocentric. Fuck off. Pretty funny stuff. To close out the show today, I, I gotta say, I am brutally disappointed in our media and progressives. We've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about lying, ignoring facts, how they ignore every fact there is, from guns to immigration. They politicize everything. To tie it into what we reviewed today, you know, the Looming Tower, it was just unbelievable all the memories that came back about how they wanted to pin 9-11 on Bush, accuse Bush, there were truthers, the media didn't care. Even when Van Jones was let go from CNN, he's back, but he was a truther. You know, he was let go from the administration at CNN, then he came back to CNN and they excused him. It's okay. You know, you can't, have a theory that Obama's a Muslim, Obama was that. That's crazy, and it's wrong. I don't agree with it, but that was admonished, yet truthers were allowed to be on our TV and our administrations. The ramping up of Nazis has been so Every policy's Nazis. We, we've had Nazis about grabbing pussies, immigration, uh, the ban on Muslims. It just keeps ratcheting, and the media doesn't address it. They make it worse. They hate them, so they say horrible shit every night. I mean, every podcast I'm playing, the voters are racist, Trump's a racist, sexist, this is the whitewashing of America because we voted for an old white guy over an old white woman. But I believe the turning point, you know... Get out Antifa and all that stuff, you know, how they were tearing shit up. That happened right after the election. The turning point was this day on CNN. Was the blood of my classmates and my teachers worth your blood money? Uh, let's, let's move on to the, to the next question. Um, Excuse me? I'm a student. I should have... I know, I understand that, but your question... I thought you were going to ask Senator Nelson a question. Your, your question sounds like you wanted to ask Dana Lash a question in the next segment, and I'm happy to do that if you want. That, of course, is the CNN gun town hall, or what I call the fucking witch burning. When a student was allowed to get on TV and say that, the person supposedly moderating it, he used to be a stand-up reporter, even though he's a Democrat. His roots are in Democratic staffing like almost every one of our pundits are. So, no, I thought you were wanting that question. I'm not going to push back. I'm not going to tell you what you just said. It's so hyperbolic and so wrong. I thought you were asking that of a woman who I don't disagree with, so it's okay. 
that rancor hasn't been addressed by our media. And then Maxine Waters gets on and calls for outright civil disobedience, ruin people's lives. We've had so many people call for the kidnapping, raping, and abduction of Trump kids, and nothing's happening in our society. I have ranted on here, Rush Limbaugh-esque, about the illness that is progressivism. And people think I'm over the top. I've had people email that I haven't addressed on the show about how horrible I am as a human being because I don't agree with them. But that's where we're at in our country on the left. And I disagree with, oh, it's just a small percentage. No, it's not. Right after this election, they tried to stop the election every means necessary. People disowned families. People blocked you on Twitter, Facebook. Major media corporations have censured conservatives. They've doxxed conservatives. They've gotten conservatives fired for an opinion. Not for terrible rhetoric. Not for incivility. Every day on Twitter, a conservative is shadow banned or banned for opinions. We are looking at the face of what tyranny is, what totalitarianism is. These people are fascists. They've lived amongst us forever. They're now given voice by a media and a democratic party that believe through this rhetoric, believe if they treat people horribly, accuse everybody of being a racist or a Nazi, they can win back power because they have the least amount of power in this country since World War II. Their policy of, you know, fucking racial identity and breaking people down in groups was rejected. And a guy that shouldn't be president is president. That's how far the American people rebuked them. But racial identity politics has been replaced by Straight up thug. They're living the thug life. From celebrities, to spokesmen, to pundits, to anchors. And every time something horrible happens, from Steve Scalise being shot, to that poor lady being egged because she went to a Trump thing, to actually stopping showing Trump events Because they said, Trump said, get that guy out of here. He should be roughed up back in the day. Blaming mobs of Antifa for inciting violence. To, you've never heard anything about Charlottesville, have you? The case isn't in the news because it was exactly what I found out by researching. He was being bricked by people. He freaked. He didn't intentionally kill anybody. He was scared. The mob was bricking them. It wasn't good enough to silence their racist voices, which they're racist. But this is a country where we're supposed to have opposing opinion, even if it's racist, even if it's horrible. Standing on a street corner and saying it. That's what our country was founded on. A bunch of people that were called fucking pieces of shit in their country left to form a new country. Because they were persecuted. Because they believed in a religion that the state didn't. 
Nothing will ever come of this good. If the left keeps pushing on this, the right will push back. And I honestly say this for no hyperbole at all. The blood of the next victim, be it left or right, is on the Democratic Party in the media's hands. It's on Apple's hands, Twitter's hands, Facebook's hands, Microsoft's hands. You are pushing people. When you call normal Americans Nazis because they voted against a lying piece of shit for another piece of shit, you're wrong. When you push a fringe group's opinion of what open borders should be or our immigration policy and the entire American public are against what you believe, you're wrong. From abortion to gay marriage to immigration to the Muslim ban to the war, the media and the Democratic Party have been on the wrong side of history. And every time they don't get their way, you get Charles Blow, the white extinction effect. Van Jones, the whitewashing of America. Somebody who I follow on Twitter said it very eloquently. You can tell when the left is losing because they become violent and their rhetoric becomes over the top. You can tune into CNN all day and hear it. MSNBC and hear it. Watch the ABC, NBC, and CBS nightly news. You will hear it. And when they don't hear what they want to hear, they chastise those people like the soundbite from the last podcast. Chastise them. He was an immigrant. He did it legally. She didn't like that. When they don't like that people won't vote the way they want or poll the way they want, they call us all pieces of shit, demean us, call us racist, ramp up more stories of poor one kid who came across the border and now is in a detention facility and they're sick. As those who follow the show, go back to the AIDS crisis. It's highly documented. One kid got it off a blood transfusion. They used it as the poster boy so they could save gay people. They didn't care about regulars. They didn't even care about AIDS. They were trying to make a social justice case. Gay people are dying. Nobody cares. Fast forward to now. Gay men are suing in France because they can't give blood. What's being omitted? You can't give blood if you got a tattoo, folks. I am a heterosexual man. I was turned away because I got a tattoo at a blood drive. It was within the window. So it doesn't matter that people could die from your disease. It's all about social justice. It's all about our causes and claiming moral superiority in every cause. And when nobody agrees with you, call them a fucking Nazi. Shame on all of you. You talk about the founding fathers, 
But if the founding fathers looked at our media and the Democratic National Committee, they would be outright saying, holy fucking shit, we should have rewrote that document. They want to take guns. They want everybody in the world to be able to come in all because they just want votes. Under Obama, enslave a whole generation of people so they're dependent on the government. Now, enslave the entire country to anybody that wants to come across the border so we can get their fucking votes. I criticize conservatives for, there's a terrorist in your toilet. You're going to die if you don't vote for me. But what the left's doing right now is un-American. Our next podcast will be July 3rd. I will guarantee on that podcast, I will read how we're not supposed to celebrate our 4th of July. Because this country sucks and it's full of a bunch of Nazis and poor Mexican kids whose parents gave them to coyotes who trekked over 700 miles in the fucking desert have no right to be in this country, are being detained just like Obama did in lesser numbers, and America's a steaming pile of shit. I fought for a country that believed in free speech. I fought for a country that is beautiful and has righted almost all its wrongs. Democrats don't like America as it is. They want America as it's not supposed to be. And that wraps up this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends, send comments and subject that you'd like to hear on the show. The F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pockets Etiquette, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Try to say that as fast as I can every time because I just like doing it. Remember, check out our webpage at foppodcast.com, foppodcast.com. There's the links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and email us. On the episode release page, you will see a link to every episode. You can go right to it and link it and listen to it. As stated, our next podcast will be the 3rd of July, Year of Our Lord, 2018. Please be safe out there this week. Stay cool. It's really hot. But more importantly, watch your six. If you don't agree with these people, it's going to be happening. It's not going to stop. There's a call to arms on the left. As I say all the time, I don't leave my house without my 45 or 9. Just like the lead singer from Doggone Stain said. <clears throat> be careful, folks. They are inciting mob mentality. The media is feeding that mob mentality. A bumper sticker, a shirt, a comet, and God, if you're still wearing a mega hat, I would retire that hat. I never owned one, but I'd get rid of it. There's also places that are banning mega hats in bars in Chicago. We're going to go to a blue-red country. What we need to remember is there's a lot more red than blue. And more importantly, we need not be like those people. I have no problem with people refusing service for Christian ideals. I have no problem with putting statements on your wall. 
But when the left acts like Jim Crow, because they're the country that installed Jim Crow, or they're the party that installed Jim Crow, the Dixiecrats, we don't need to be like that. This is America. You can believe whatever the fuck you want. You can be wrong. So don't be like them. And tune in on July 3rd. We're going to America the fuck up on this podcast. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.